tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Hi, you think it's cool outside here on a Thursday in Jacksonville. This is outstanding. Back from Indianapolis in the NFL Combine. And uh, Derek Brown, Isaiah Simmons. Oh, is this the group that the Jaguars find themselves drafting in? With that number ninth pick, uh, I'm not sure many of those kind of guys will make it to number 20, but uh, this is a day where you can certainly see and connect the dots of where the Jaguars are looking for some help. And we're going to have some linebacker talk. Isaiah Simmons, what is he? Yeah. <laughs> you know, he doesn't even say what he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and to me, that's intriguing. It means he's a football player. And everybody always says best player available. Well, if he's one of the best players out there. Does he need a position? Can you find a position? Does it give you flexibility? All those things. Also, Miles Jack, what we learned from Dave Caldwell, Doug Marone about Miles Jack. He got brought up and no, nothing definitive. Uh, this really goes back a couple of days. We just haven't got to it, but nothing definitive about him being in the middle this time around. Uh, I think you'll have some thoughts about that. Uh, oh, you know Miles I will, Jack. Brent. You know I will. Uh, Brent Martineau, Austin Lane, Coos back together in studio. On a Thursday, thanks for hanging out with us. And uh, Tom Brady, is it really going to happen? Jeff Darlington, do you believe him? Yeah. And uh, listen, he's a good reporter, so I mean, what, whatever. There's a lot that can change in the next couple of weeks uh, with all these situations. With all the quarterback situations across the NFL, really. From Dak Prescott, who's now meeting with the Cowboys, his agent, finally for the first time since September mm-hmm. you know and that has not been nearly as hostile as say this one in town has been with Yannick Ngakwe and and the Jaguars so a lot of quarterback uh, maneuvering going on uh, now there's some rumors about Philip Rivers going to Indianapolis and uh, that makes a lot of sense but Tom Brady makes sense to an Indianapolis to a Tennessee to maybe even a Tampa although that one does not make as much sense to me but uh we'll talk about it we've got that coming up and I don't know. It's a sad day. Uh, I know it's a sad day. Uh, The passing of Corky Rogers. And uh, we told you about it this morning on social media. And the comments since then uh, have been fun to watch. How much of an impact he made on so many people. And so I say it in in two different ways. Sad day. Uh, So many folks lost a a great head coach, a a good man. a mentor in so many different ways and and a friend in a lot of different ways to this entire community coached uh, around here for four and a half decades. But I also say when you remember a man like this, who now I think is at peace and and, in peace and not pain and, and this, the last couple of months and even years have not been good for Corky Rogers. And we saw this coming early in the week. We had heard about it. Um, and, and that happened last night when he passed away. But I think of it in a celebratory way. Uh, I get the mourning and I get the sadness of it. But I also just this is to me and I'm I'm not going to sit here and tell you I was a great friend of Corky Rogers. No, Uh, but I've been doing this long enough to know now and really appreciate some of the larger than life figures that you meet in local sports. 
And back home in Rhode Island for me, I've, I've told the story of Ben Bondor, the Paw Sox owner, the Pawtucket Red Sox owner. He was that way to me. And uh, he just friend to everybody, but this larger-than-life figure. And I think here, I think every place you go. Uh, for me, I've worked in four different markets. I could name off a bunch of guys. But I think around here, that is Corky Rogers. And Corky Rogers is larger than life when it comes to high school football, when it comes to bowls. But don't forget what it meant to Lee High School as well. He did to the west side, to the entire community of Jacksonville. That's not lost on me. I don't have to be from here to know what kind of impact he made. And we're going to try to talk to a lot of folks today. To me, uh, it's you cannot talk about Corky Rogers enough on a day like today. I think he meant that much to so many people, impacted the sport of football in Jacksonville and in the state of Florida, and the accolades only tell the beginning of the story. So uh, we'll do that. We're going to try to do that, try to do that in a, in a graceful way uh, with all due respect to the family and uh, thoughts and prayers to everybody uh, that knew and uh, and was around Corky Rogers for all these years. But his imprint, his impact, and we talk about local sports. We're a sports show. Well, Corky Rogers is a big part of sports here in Jacksonville. So we're going to try to do our best uh, with some guests that are coming on to to remember him and, and his legacy uh, that will uh, live long and forever here in the city of Jacksonville. Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously I kind of came to the game late here in Jacksonville, so I didn't know too much about Jacksonville High School football, to tell you the truth. I found out a new respect from it uh, the past couple of years of just how talented this area is with high school football. And then when you start to learn a little more, then you learn about, you know, Corky Rogers. And um, like I said, I, I never got to meet the guy or anything like that. But you can, can you, know, you can consider him one of the best high school coaches of all time in any area, in any era. And I think that when you can do that, Brent, with high school football, obviously, yes, you're, you're coaching football, but you're also coaching young men. And, and you're molding them and you're teaching them about life lessons and try to be, you know, to try to be proper adults. And I think with Corky Rogers, man, I mean, obviously he had success on the field, but I think once you talk to some people, we're going to realize just how great of an influence he had to those guys as men off the field as well. Well, and I think the, the significance of this is we have a lot of folks that are not from Jacksonville mm -hmm. that listen to the show, but that, that are in Northeast Florida. But we all know somebody that impacted lives from a coaching standpoint like Corky Rogers, even though he might have been one of a kind in that respect when it comes to accolades and everything else. And I understand that. If you're saying if you if you knew Corky Rogers, well, if you played for him, you're like, no, this guy was one of a kind. I get mm -hmm. it. But my point is, we all have somebody that probably impacted if you were in sports, played sports, all those things. And that's the power of coaching, man. I tell it all the time to my kids or at least talk about it sometimes around my kids. The coaches they've had in their in their lives, the, those youth coaches to this point and beyond, however long they end up playing, those are the people you remember. You've picked things up subconsciously from those folks. Um, and if you're fortunate to get a heck of a coach, and there are differences, but if you're fortunate to get one of those, um, that coach can leave an impression that lasts a lifetime. And I think that's what we're getting around the Corky Rogers passing today. I think a lot of people sharing their stories about uh, just how much uh, he meant to them off the field, like you just mm -hmm. mentioned, as much as on the field. So we'll get to the Corky Rogers uh, passing. But, I, again, uh, this doesn't mean to me I, there is a sad part of that anytime anybody passes there's also a celebratory part of it uh with corky rogers and how many people he impacted he did it the right way and uh pretty cool stuff the power a high school coach oh, yeah, can man. have you know well, uh, doesn't get paid millions exactly and i get paid a lot at all in fact mm -hmm. uh but can have a, a lot of impact on so many 
young people, I don't say just men, Mm -hmm. but now that are families and husbands and fathers and all those, uh, pretty cool. Well, and listen, and whether you're, you know, your high school coach, you're coaching football, you're coaching basketball, you're coaching baseball, name the sport. If you have as much success as he had coaching high school football, Number one, you're obviously doing things the right way with culture, you know, teaching lessons, but also it's probably going to be a little uncomfortable for those student athletes, right? Because any great team out there, Brent, I don't care how much talent you have, you still have to cultivate that talent. So I, I guarantee, you know, whoever we talk to, they're going to say, yeah, maybe he, he was kind of that, that hard nose type of coach. But, and, you know, and, and I came from one of those as well. And I think you can attest to this. I mean, I think you had a pretty good high school baseball coach. You've talked to him about him a couple of times, but I think overall, man, like, the older you get, like, when you're in high school, yeah, you don't really know what's going on. Like, all right, you think you have it all figured out. This, this coach is yelling at you for whatever reason. It is what it is. But the older you get, and when you start applying those lessons to everyday life, like I have, or like any student athlete has, then you realize just how great of a coach you had in high school. And I think Corky Rogers is definitely one of those people. Yeah, so we'll check in with some folks uh, around the area that obviously were influenced and knew Corky Rogers well. Uh, you know, one of, one of the things about Corky Rogers, I thought, uh, it, we just actually we're putting together some stories on TV, and so I was just listening. To Marcel was putting together uh, this package, and that will run tonight. And uh, one of the things he said is he had a recent he was honored recently at Bulls after he had retired, right around when he was retired. And so he was on the mic and he was talking, and he said, "Listen, there have been people that outcoached me, even though there are a lot of people around this area that say." It was tough to outcoach Corky Rogers. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't always have the best athletes yeah. at Bowls, but he was that good of a coach. And uh, he said, there were some people that actually outcoached me. Believe, you know, I know people say they don't, but, but, but there really was. And he acknowledged that. And he said, but I'm not sure there were many people, if any, that worked harder than we did. Yeah. And so to your point, it was a great quote. You know, it was like, hey, we're getting after it. And they got after it. They got after it at the bowl school. They got after it at a private school. You know, he was able to get the most out of those kids, uh, which is which is pretty incredible. And most recently, his back and forth with Reigns and Duran Wiley. And I've talked to Duran Wiley a lot over the years about this and his impact on Duran Wiley in the Reigns football program has been significant. So even his opposition learned from uh, Corky Rogers. So we'll celebrate it. We'll talk about it, uh, share some of the stories we've seen on social media. Leroy Butler, Edgar Bennett, Chipper Jones. Steve Spurrier, Manny Diaz, all commenting, and I'm probably missing some, all com. Those are big names impacted and influenced by Corky Rogers. And I will say we've reached out to some of them, trying to get them on the show. Uh, we'll see if it happens or not, but uh, we are working on it, trying to get more of those thoughts. Uh, but we also talked some football. Tom Brady. I mean, it's the buzz story right now, yeah. but it's a real deal. Here's what I think. There's a part of it that says... See you, New England. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. about time you had something not go your way. <laughs> but I say, look out, AFC South. I've told you this before. I think he's coming to the AFC South. Sure. If, if he it, it would make ends sense up from somewhere, he's coming to the AFC South. Now, there's Giants rumors and Oakland Raiders rumors, yeah. Tampa rumors. How likely are the rumors and how likely in this next couple of weeks the narrative that he is leaving gets reversed by Bob Kraft, Bill Belichick, or anybody else in New England. Let's talk about it. Your thoughts. Brady gone? Or is this a bluff? Next on ESPN 690. Man, it's so crazy, man. I vote no. That NFLPA, the, the, the dudes at the top, the leaders, man, 
that. They ain't looking out for the best of the players. And if y'all want my vote, the Pouncey Twins vote no. And if any player, uh, any one of our teams, if y'all heard for rent money or anything while we go through this lockout, call us. Man, we got way more money than what they had back in the days. We ain't got to worry about that. All the vets on each team stand up. Which Pouncey was that again? Mike? Marquise? I think it was Marquise Pouncey if it's, if it's the Pittsburgh one, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. I don't know. I always I mix them up. Yeah. But uh, obviously, only one of them has a voice. Yeah. Said, one will vote for both Pounceys. Absolutely, man. <laughs> I mean, uh, I guess essentially if they're twins, they share a brain, right? That's what they always say? <laughs> I don't know about mine, too. <laughs> maybe, maybe they think alike. Who knows? Well, I don't know. But the way that Dow Jones is looking, I might need one, too. <laughs> so I'm giving them a call. Oh, is, is that 401k looking a little stingy? Oh, my god! I think everyone's is looking a little uh, worse for wear right now. Wow. Yeah, that coronavirus, man. Hey, just to add to your idea, Coos, forget about the face masks for for um, promotional use. We're just going to sell them so we can make up for everything in the 401k. <laughs> $5 a mask. I like it. I like it. Uh, not good. I don't know what the latest is on that, but that's obviously becoming a huge story and a daily story. Not just the Dow Jones. I'm talking about the coronavirus yeah. uh, here in the States. Mm-hmm. And I will say, like, then stop anybody from flying. The airports were packed and packed. people were flying. And- sure. We'll Whoa. see if it does, though, you know. I, I think, did I see in, like, Japan, somebody said, uh, I was like, the prime minister, is that what they call it? I think in Japan, mm-hmm. they're going to close down schools for, like, the yep. next three months or two months. Well, and obviously the Olympics are going to be in 2020, they're going to be in Tokyo. So there was concerns, you know, of the coronavirus there for athletes traveling. But um, I think they announced it last night that everything will still be um, under schedule, and they're still going to hold Olympics and everything. There's going to be no delay. So yeah, well, and even on the uh, from a business side, right? I saw Coke mm-hmm. and Diet Coke might have a sh- shortage. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah because there's a lot whatever is made in China, and so we'll see. Uh, that's might be a good time to go cold turkey on the soda. There you if go. You're trying to give it up. Yeah, might be a good time. So it could help. How, how are you feeling about that right now? Did, did oh, you have okay. like your own little secret stash? No, I mean, listen, away, I'm, not, huh? I'm not as bad as he's my wife now. Uh-oh. Diet Coke. Like, she's got, like, an IV of it at the house. <laughs> like, it goes from the fridge. There's this long tube, like, right to the bed. <laughs> just, just corn syrup and, and, and seltzer water it's just pumping through. That's it. Like, it's like 2.30 in the morning. Gets yeah. a little a release of the tube. You have to get that fixed, man. Get it in what you can. Sorry, Steph. Uh, yeah, well, that's no. happened. Yeah. Hey, the CBA stuff, yeah. obviously just talking about it. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, right? All the guys that are making money are saying, whoa, hold the phone. You yeah. know, we got plenty of money like that, like Aaron Rodgers and everybody else. But you're not hearing the bottom end of the league saying that. Mm-hmm. And there is some momentum. This is going to be really close. And some people believe it's going to pass. I think it was DeMora Smith that said he thinks it might. it's going to pass, even though it might get messy over the next week or so. Sure. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to be honest, man. I, I have no idea what's going on right now with the CBA because, you know, you're hearing different words from different camps. And supposedly, like, what I think was Ian Rappaport or somebody, um, Adam Schefter, put out of, like, all the, you know, of all the CBA things in place, well, that wasn't true. There's actually more things and more stipulations. For instance, it got announced a couple hours ago, I guess, where as far as the holdouts are concerned, there will be no more 
holdouts. And if a player does hold out, then he will forfeit that season yeah. like after a certain amount of games. Yeah. So obviously like no more player holdouts. Well, to me that's big, especially for players these days. We talk about wanting to, you know, bank on themselves and believe in themselves. If you if you put it in the CBA where there's no more holdouts, I gotta think the blowback for that is gonna be huge. And I think for the most part, set aside from a few, you know, vets like Marquise Pouncey, um, Clayus Campbell kind of came out a little bit. Aaron Rodgers, man, I just, I, I did not see it transpiring like this because I figured, you know, the the, the rookies, the first three years, second year guys. You know, they would kind of be all on the same page as the vets because I think nowadays we talked to Hayden Hurst last Friday, Brent. You know, Hayden Hurst has a, a great idea of what's going on right now in the CBA and, and he has his eyes close to it as opposed to me. You know, I was just like, man, I'm going to my second year. I'm just trying to make it, you know. So I think players are definitely self-aware of what's going on, but for whatever reason, they're willing to accept some of the stipulation that the, that the NFL owners have put in place. And I'll be honest with you, man, I think the players right now that, are, that agree with the CBA are selling themselves short. You do. I do. Uh, and it's hard to say exactly what that is because we don't have it all in front of us. Correct. Right? I mean, there are reports, but it's not like we're doing the negotiations with them. So we don't know what that is. We don't know what's important. And $5 billion in a pool of money is what, apparently what it could be worth to the players. That's a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Keep in mind, $5 billion spread across, if that's like an annual thing, spread across 300-and-something players. That's a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we're talking about 5,000 players in the NFL. Mm-hmm. It, it, this is that's that's a good amount of money. So I don't know if it comes down to that. I don't know if it's the the medical marijuana. You know, we've had uh, the 17 games continues to be a hiccup, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. And that's what all the the give on the owner's part, if any, is to get that 17th game. Uh, we pretty much know that. I think that's that's out there. Yeah, uh, we're, we're not going to get deep into the CBA because it is hard to. Yeah, because we don't have all the information in front of us, man. Other than the fact that it could get, I mean, it's going to be voted on next week. I mean, yeah. it could seriously be done next week. Yeah. And there is, that is not as far-fetched as when I put my house at it wouldn't be last week. Sure. Like, yeah. I mean, now I'm starting to get worried. <laughs> so am I, man. If these only <laughs> pair of shoes I got, Brent, what am, what am I supposed to do with, without a pair of shoes now? I'm going to say this real quick, though, about the CBA. Obviously, the last time it you know went into place, 2011, my second year. And you remember how long that dragged out, right? And you remember yeah. how both sides were arguing and everything like that. And finally, you know, I think it was like, what, one week in a training camp where we finally figured it out and everybody agreed and we showed up. And even then, Brent. That was because player, the deadline was coming. Yeah, but players pl- were not going to get paid. Yeah, but players felt like, you know, we kind of got shortchanged Absolutely. a little bit. And they so, did. Exactly. And, and we did. So you mean to tell me a new CBA agreement that was put forth by the owners in this in the matter of two to three weeks right now? And it comes forward to the players. You mean to tell me that it's going to be all hunky-dory and everything is going to be fantastic all of a sudden after it took so long before the last CBA to try to agree upon things? Man, I just don't think so. In show betting, uh, the over just hit for Hunky Dory coming out of Austin's. Uh, well, I, I'm trying to cut back on the language a little bit, so now I'm going with a bunch of terms that I that, that I've learned watching my son's uh, shows on Disney. Awesome. Hunky Dory being one Has, of them. Has uh, that dance like a snake song come up yet? No. Oh, dude, it's like that new shark. Doo-doo-doo. Oh, really? Oh, oh man, yeah. dance like a snake. Yeah. Uh, I'll flake. Right. Right. I don't have to watch it. Just take them to the Mountain Monster trucks, okay? Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Yep. <laughs> uh, anyway, this is what Calais said. And Calais is a great voice of reason. We know. Mm-hmm. I mean, he might be, obviously, he's for the players. But he's a great voice of reason. Yes. That's not going to have the emotion of a pouncy. Exactly. Here's what he tweeted yesterday. All players now have a chance to educate themselves on the proposed CBA. Everyone has a vote and a voice. 
Uh, most reps were torn on which way to vote. I'm paraphrasing, uh, skipping around here. As you can see by the narrow vote, it was pretty split down the middle. So now the power lies in the hands of the players for the CBA proposal to pass. It will need a majority. That's all it needs is a majority, not like 65 percent, 70 percent, talking 50.1 percent. Uh, Kalea says, I encourage all of you to get with your reps and empower yourself so you can make an informed decision. A lot of details in this proposal that are not in the term sheet that was leaked, as he says. Yeah. I was told we have approximately two weeks before the players will vote. That may even be sooner. It might even be next week, uh, as soon as, according to some reports today. Start preparing now. Whether you like or dislike the proposal, your reps need to hear from you. Your voice needs to be heard with your vote. So hey, that's what. Calais Campbell's a player up for the Jags. That's what yeah. he needs to do, should do. And, again, he's a voice of reason, I think, uh, um, even though he's supportive and obviously biased toward the players. Uh, I I think that was a nice calming message that Calais put out, at least for his constituents, which is the Jags locker room. And, listen, Calais Campbell's not wrong. If there's any young players right now that are listening to the show – Read over everything. And I know, man, like whenever you want to update your iTunes, you never read the rules and re- regulations, right? Like you don't ever read the fine print in anything. But I'm telling you as young players, man, you guys got to read the fine print. And if you have questions, then ask somebody. Ask guys like Clayus Campbell. Ask your agent. They'll answer the questions for you. But you have to read the fine print of this thing, man, because like I said, it's there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of bells and whistles. And you have to make sure you do your due diligence to get the right decision for the right vote, which you want to do. We're going to bounce around quite a bit on the show today because we are going to remember and share stories of Corky Rogers. I think that's important. Uh, uh, so we will do that and that's coming up in just a couple minutes. Gene Fournette actually is going to join us. He's been covering Bowles and Corky Rogers for a long time and uh, good friends with Corky Rogers wrote a, a nice uh, article column today in Jacksonville.com. So he's going to join us in a bit. But before we go, I do want to talk a little bit about Brady. Mm-hmm. I mean, how stunning is this to hear it? And again, this is a report. Jeff Darlington's a good reporter. And there's, it makes sense there's momentum. It's just hard to put your your arms around the idea that Tom Brady, at what will be, what, 43 years old, is going to explore a different team. Like, to me, it just doesn't make sense to do that. But this is a new era. You know, I still, I'm, 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 I'm get off my lawn guy. <laughs> Larry Bird played for one team. I love that Derek Jeter played for one team. I like the one team guys. And, uh... I, I just didn't think it would get to this. It looks like it's going this way, and where does he end up? You know what, man? So, first of all, I think Tom Brady is still going to be a New England Patriot. You do? So Absolutely. you don't believe it? No. I mean, well, he's going to be a free agent, test the market, possibly. Well, you think he ends up but back he's, in But he's going to end back in New England. You know, and I think once this whole CBA agreement gets figured out, I think then they'll have like a better idea of what's going to happen with Tom Brady. But, but I'm going to say this, man. It's the New England Patriots, okay? They always have a plan. If Tom Brady was to leave right now and go with the Tennessee Titans, go with the Indianapolis Colts, what's the plan then for the New England Patriots? They don't have one right now. Doesn't look like it. Exactly. So the New England Patriots are going to do everything in their power to try to keep Tom Brady. We've seen this happen in the past when they got Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo was the backup plan, right? I don't think they expected Tom Brady to play for another, you know, five, six, seven, eight years. I think Jimmy Garoppolo was put in place where, you know what? Tom Brady on the back nine of his career, maybe he's got one, two more good years, and then Jimmy Garoppolo's team. Well, obviously Tom Brady still had success. Jimmy Garoppolo got traded. So I'm just saying from the Patriots' perspective right now, they don't have a backup plan in place. I'm not sure how the draft going to shake up this year, but I don't see them targeting a high-valued um, quarterback. So with that being said, man, Tom Brady's going to stay a Patriot. Really? Uh, yeah. That'll be interesting. Uh, okay, if he's not, two things real mm-hmm. quick. 
Where do you see the most likely landing spot? Because for me, I'll, I'll jump in. Sure. I've said the AFC South. It makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Obviously not Houston and not here in Jacksonville, but mm-hmm. Indianapolis with Frank Reich. And I do think there's a – how much does Tom care about history and Peyton Manning played there and all that stuff? That's kind of what I was thinking. I think yeah. that's fascinating. But it's a good offensive line. Frank Reich is a well-respected guy. I could see it. I just think he ends up in Tennessee. I think I think we see him twice a year. Vrabel. Uh, and they have what he would probably say, I can deal with, I can work with this. Derrick Henry, bring him back. Wide receivers, you AJ Brown showed promise. Absolutely. Yeah. Tight ends. Yeah. Uh, good offensive well, line. See, yeah, Delaney Walker's yeah. on the down. Is he even uh, under contract? Uh, I think Delaney Walker's coming back, but also you have John Smith, who showed some promise, but once again, you know, kind of injury bug a little but bit. But a pretty good offensive line. Very good offensive Tough line. Tough nose football team. Correct. I mean, it's probably the best spot to go. Win. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, they just made it to the AFC Championship game. Sure. Now well, you know how I feel about Tennessee. Yeah. I wouldn't be scared of that, by the way. If I'm in anybody in the AFC South, I wouldn't be scared of it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the most intriguing option and chance to be successful option, even more than Indianapolis for Brady. Well, and you got to keep in mind too, Brady obviously wants to win, right? Like he, he's not trying to go to a team that has a rebuilding project. Why would he do that? He, he's trying yeah. to go and win right now, you know? So yeah. from that perspective, I think, especially in the AFC South, man, let's be honest here, where the Titans have had some success, obviously, last season. The Colts have been okay. So yeah, I think the Titans would definitely be the front runner for Tom Brady. But once again, man, I can't state it enough. I think that dude's staying in New England. Yeah, uh... I, I don't know. I believe. Wanna, I believe the reports. Wanna, should, should make it interesting. Yeah, I think it will make it interesting. No, I'm saying, should we make it interesting? Oh, in terms of a bet. A bet. Just yeah, a, let's a, do a gentleman's it. bet. Well, not a, just a gentleman's bet. I'm oh, not just okay. shaking your head. <laughs> okay. Putting something on okay, it. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, oh, oh, I want to ask you one other question. Yeah. We can talk more about it later. If the Patriots, there's a lot of quarterbacks out there. Who would you go get if you were the Patriots out of all anybody on the market? Would you go say, hey, okay, Tanny, we'll give you a, a shot. A free agent. Um, good call. I, yeah, I'd probably lead Tannehill. Obviously, you don't go Phillip Rivers. I think he's a little too old. Yeah. Jameis Winston, I think, too mistake prone. I would probably go Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. As crazy as that sounds. Well, who else is? I mean, give me another free agent like to Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater. Bridgewater? Not a bad pick. Yeah. I mean, I guess, listen, it, it all depends, too, with, like, offensive coordinators and, like, do they have any connections, things like that. So yeah. I have to, like, do my due diligence a little bit. But I can see Ryan Tannehill for some reason. Trade for Nick Foles? Oh, now we're talking. Now we're talking. Well, that's a great question. Would you rather have Ryan Tannehill or Nick Foles if you're the New England Patriots? If Tom Brady leaves, who are you taking, Brent? I, I would rather have Nick Foles. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm just not just high on Tannehill. No, I think, I sure. think he just had a two month yeah. bump. And yeah, that's it. All right, we got to go. We got when we come back, we'll talk more about the NFL and more about the Jags and the linebackers and more about the quarterbacks, all that stuff, and even more about the CBA. We're getting some CBA questions. Uh, but next, a little more on Corky Rogers. We'll have that Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Hey, welcome back. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Brent Morton along with Austin Lane Coos here back in studio, back from the NFL Combine. In Indianapolis, we'll have some combine talk. We'll have some talk about the Jags. We always do. And uh, this one around the linebacker situation. Also, the drills start tonight and more guys on the podium today, including the big guys uh, on the defensive front. Did we hear from potentially the ninth overall pick uh, of the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, earlier today in Indianapolis? We'll uh, we'll debate that a little bit. But right now, uh, we are... 
I think uh, obviously mourning in Jacksonville the loss of Corky Rogers, legendary Lee and Bowles head football coach, uh, one of the best in the country at the high school levels, winning his coach in the state of Florida, 10 state championships at Bowles, all those accolades. So there is mourning going on, but there's also a celebration of of what Corky Rogers accomplished in four and a half decades on the sidelines and how many people he impacted. And that includes our next guest. Uh, and you know him well uh, from the Florida Times Union, Gene Fournette, joining us right now in this covered and known Corky Rogers for decades. I know you had to write a tough one today, Gene. It was very well done on Jacksonville.com. So uh, sorry for the loss of uh, one of your good friends. But, wow, what an impact Corky Rogers has made uh, here in Jacksonville. Yeah, yeah, no, I uh it's it, it was tough. I'm not going I'm not going to lie to you about that. But uh what I hope uh comes out of all this uh, is that uh you know, whatever gut punch people are feeling over his passing that they remember that, you know, how blessed they were, you know, to have him in in their life, whether they were a player, whether they were a coach or whether they were just, you know, uh, you know, a person you met because you knew somebody that Corky knew, and you know, one you know, it's funny because I, uh, I must have tweaked what I wrote today about four or five times, and one of the things that just came to my mind was that you know, uh, was the, the idea that you know a lot of people collect things, they collect stamps, they collect coins, they collect art, you know, collect whatever, and it occurred to me that what Corky collected was friends because. Uh, he, you know, and part of it certainly is being a successful football coach. That certainly goes along with it. But, you know, it was, the, it was kind of the way he was as a person. You know, the, you know, I was just got off the phone with Matt Toblin and, it, you know, it was his graciousness. It was his humility. The, the more success he had, uh, you know, sometimes the more success you have, sometimes the more arrogant a person can become. And, but success had the opposite effect on him. It just humbled him even more, and and it was and there was a genuine humility because, uh, geez, I've had so many conversations with him, thousands of them over the course of thirty eight years of thirty nine years of knowing him, and he he would always talk about what he didn't do right than what he did right, whether it was a, a decision on the field, you know, something it could be something at home, it, you know, and, but he always focused on what he needed to do to be better, which is, you know, probably one of the things that was a, was a hallmark and, and was a reason why his teams were so consistently successful because uh, he never rested on his laurels, that's for sure. Gene Fournette from the Florida Times Union with us talking about Corky Rogers. The late Corky Rogers passed away last night. The news spread of that this morning. Uh, he had been uh, sick uh, for weeks and months and, and years and and really this week took turn for the worst so i think uh, a lot of folks uh had quietly heard that uh, this could happen this week uh legendary legendary coach and and man and gene i know everybody's got stories about corky rogers but you know we covered him just how we would cover anybody else and what i appreciate as a guy who's not from here and you know this this town can be a, a good old boy network at some times right and uh the it, you didn't feel that with Corky Rogers. In fact, one of my favorite things about Corky Rogers is that you would call him. And nowadays you call everybody on their cell phone or text them on their cell phone or call him at the school. You know where you called Corky, Corky Rogers? If you need at the to office. Do it, at the office or <laughs> at his home. Yep. His, his wife Linda would answer or he would answer. And 
you called him at his home. Very few coaches now that I've been doing this 20 years now in this day and age, do you call them at their home? You call them on their cell phone or somewhere else. And so it was a little bit of reverence there, even in that. But it, when he picked up the phone, it was like I had known him as long as you knew him, Gene Fournette. So uh, yeah. that you appreciate that about people, and especially with all the accolades and, and what he had accomplished. It was always cool to go to a Bulls practice. I said this to Austin earlier in the show. I said, there's always these folks that you run into. I've been in four different markets. I grew up in Rhode Island. There's always those kind of people that seem larger than life. And Corky Rogers was that, but you just explained in a tremendous way. There was just this humility about him that didn't feel that when you were right next to him. Yeah, he never he never made you feel like you were talking to some sort of iconic figure or anything like that. That was that was never what you know. I mean, I mean, you remember? Get remember? He grew up on the West Side, you know. Grew it was was the only child of a father who was you know very sports minded, and I might add, was a former uh, sports writer for the Associated Press. Uh, Corky used to go to the Florida football games because his father was working the games in the press box. <laughs> And so he grew up watching Florida football and, and going to boxing matches, things like that. But I want to share with you one story about the cell phone that you talked about. Uh, I, I can now say publicly that Corky actually did have a cell phone. But the only reason he had that cell phone is because his wife, Linda, insisted on him having it if she needed to reach him. He gave that number out to nobody. Nobody knew what the cell phone number was except Linda. <laughs> and you know, she wanted to be able to reach. If something came up, she wanted to be able to reach him. That's awesome. So that, that, was, the, that was the technology compromise that Corky and Linda had on the cell phone. Fantastic. Gene, when we talk about him, by the way, it's Austin Lane. Gene, great to hear from you, man. When we talk about Corky Rogers as a coach, you just said, you know, like he never used his cell phone. One could think, well, this is definitely an old school guy. How can he relate to his players? But players are coming out of the woodwork right now, Gene, you know, sharing their thoughts on Corky Rogers and saying just how great of a person he was. What do you attribute to a guy, you know, who used to run the wing T, who was kind of setting his ways that way, but always seemed to get the most out of his players? Where does that attribute come from? Well, I think one of the things that he benefited from is he grew up at a coaching age where you could still be pretty darn stern with players, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, so when he started out in coaching at Lee, and the Lee players can tell you this, okay, you could do a lot more things as a coach back then to discipline players than you could now. Hey, when he was at Lee, when you walked into that office, that big wooden paddle was hanging by the door. Okay, and wow. every player in that program knew what that paddle meant, and that paddle meant don't you dare get a bad report card that makes you ineligible. Wow. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. And you know now, now if, he, if that if you if a paddle was hanging by a coach's door today, <laughs> going before the school board, and boom, he'd he'd be out the door, right? Absolutely. Uh, but my point is, is that I think growing up in an era where coaches were, I think, I would say more revered and their authority was less questioned, uh, helped him in, uh, you know, in, you know he, came, he grew up the West Side mentality. You know, I always, you know, he called himself the park rat, okay? <laughs> if I ever did a book on Corky, on Corky Rogers and he didn't want one done, that would be the title of the book, the park rat. <laughs> and that, that, that's, that would be my pick. But anyway, but he would play, you know, he grew up near Murray Hill Park, but he, he would go at Lackawanna Park. 
Uh, Woodstock Park was a lot of pickup baseball games. Wherever there was a game and he wasn't in school, he was usually at the park. And, you know, this and this went on from age six and seven all the way up to 15, 16, or whatever time in high school you stopped going to the park as much. Uh, but that was his life. And, 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 you know, his dad was involved in sports, and his life revolved around sports. And, uh, you know, he almost went to Florida on a basketball scholarship, but Norm Sloan pulled the scholarship at the last minute, and he ended up going to play football at Georgia Tech. How about that? Uh, you know, he goes to the, you know, he go, he, you know, he played a little bit of cornerback at Georgia Tech. He played a little bit of receiver, uh, goes into an NFL training camp, and goes with the Redskins as a receiver, doesn't make it. Comes back the next year as a tight end, puts on weight, uh, and go and and goes into the '68 training camp with the Colts, where you know they went to the Super Bowl that year with the Jets. And uh, you know they only had 40 man rosters then, or maybe it was 44, but you only had room for two tight ends, and one of the tight ends was John Mackey. Well, you weren't taking his job, so there was <laughs> one slot available for a backup tight end, and uh, Shulett called him into the office and said, "Hey, uh, I really would love to keep you, Corky, but uh, you know we're going to go with." I can't remember what the guy's name, but it was a tight end from Auburn. So they went, you know, that's how Corky, that's how Corky Rogers' NFL career ended with Don Shula saying, "Hey, I'm sorry, I'd like to keep you, but." <laughs> Unbelievable! Uh, from one great coach to who became another great coach, obviously at the high school ranks, and Corky Rogers, uh, Gene Fournette with us from the Florida Times Union here on Action Sports Chats on ESPN 690, and I, I, I just love talking about this man's legacy and uh i I did have a question i want to get ask you about lee high school in just a moment but you brought up the book i was going to ask you about that he did not want one because i was i thought for sure you would have written one by now or had one in the plans uh tell Uh, us a little bit about that um i don't don't want to give away too much but you know i I will say this Uh, i i a family member of a family member had approached me about it whether i would have some interest you know and I, i said well yeah sure uh but I never heard back, and that told me that Corky didn't. That, you know, he got he got word from Corky that he probably wasn't. I, I know that another person approached him about it while he was still coaching, and and he didn't want to do it. Okay. And uh, so you know, I always re, you know respected his wishes, and uh, I mean, <laughs> listen, I, uh, I've got I've got a, I've got enough memories and and things in my head about Corky, uh, and, and done enough stories on him that I. You know, I feel like I could, uh, you know, I could certainly write a book, uh, and uh, and I will, you know, I I may mull it over, but again, I I'm not going to do anything that the family doesn't want. Yeah, yeah. And that, I would never. Uh, my friendship uh, with with Linda and you know the uh, his daughters and and uh, it means too much to me to do. You know, I, you you always try to respect somebody's wishes. So, uh, so I was always very, very respectful of that. But if uh, uh, if the opportunity came and it was and it was you know acceptable, it's certainly something that I would that would intrigue me. Let's put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and uh, that's good of you to respect the wishes of a family. Obviously, leaves behind his wife Linda, two daughters, and and well, I don't know, Gene, maybe fifteen hundred sons or so. I guess uh, in terms of the the high school football yeah, ranks. Yeah, it's, and, you know. it's ironic that he had a couple of daughters because we always say, gosh, if he ever had a son, how hard would Corky be on that guy? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Boy, hey, here's the deal, Gene. I've been here a dozen years, and if, you know, there's so much, uh, uh, so many new folks that come into Jacksonville and Northeast Florida, and I'm sure by now, if you've been here even a handful of years, you've heard the name Corky Rogers and know what he's done, and, and, you, and you know it by what they did at Bowles. 
and 10 state championships and all the wins and 28 years at that program. What I often kind of feel bad about, I don't know if I should feel bad about it, but I think you forget about or people don't talk about enough what he did at Lee High School and Edgar Bennett and Leroy Butler and all the great players, but all winning games in the backyard and, and I think putting that program on the map and and how good they were i think it was 17 years he coached there can you give us that perspective a little bit and how did he get from lee to bowls uh, when did that transition and why did that transition take place well i hope you got some airtime left okay so anyway uh <laughs> let's 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 start with the legacy at lee okay um the, the team was one and nine uh unfortunately under previous head coach leon barrett who was uh, uh, Corky's defensive coordinator during his entire time at Lee, and they went five and five the, the uh, first year under Corky. They they beat Jackson in the Gator Bowl and Wayne Belger, who was his longtime assistant coach for forty years, he was the quarterback in that game. So they got so gradually the Lee program got turned around. But the, there, there's two differences between Lee and Bowles. Number one, state championships were far harder to win back in the 1970s and early 80s. There was only four classifications. There, there wasn't like eight classifications. There is now where classifications, in some instances, get a little watered down, and it's a little bit easier, you know, to get to a state semifinal or a final and, and then win it. You didn't. There was no easy path back then, and you it was it was brutal just to win a district title back then. So anyway. Uh, the, uh, you know, there was a little, there was a really case of bad luck one year. They had the, uh, Corky's best team was 1980. They go undefeated. They make it to the state semifinals and they're playing Gainesville up at Old Florida Field on their artificial turf. And Lee does not have their starting quarterback. He gets hurt. So they got to play the backup. Jimmy, I can't remember what Jimmy's last. Todd Wilkins was the starter and Jimmy somebody was the backup. And he wasn't as good as the starter. But anyway, they're on the one-yard line with about a minute to go. They're down, I want to say it was like 19 to 14, something like that. They're down by five or four or something like that. And they have first and goal at the one. Of course, you get, keep in mind, you got the backup quarterback. Well, the rule of thumb at Lee, and I don't know if it was still applied at Bowles, if you had goal to goal on the one, you always went on the, on the immediate snap count. You always went on one because you didn't want to risk jumping – you know, a false start and all yeah. that stuff by going. Uh, so apparently the story goes when the kid, when some of the players broke the huddle, there was some uncertainty amongst some players as to what uh, Jimmy uh, called us for, for the actual snap count. And what and it resulted like in one of the worst false starts in the history of high school football. <laughs> but I was so, now, long story short, they get backed up to the six and they never got in. And Gainesville turned around and, and easily won the following week. And then three, and then four years later, they play Emmett Smith in Escambia, and in the, the, was considered the greatest high school football game in Jacksonville. They lose in four overtimes. Held them to hundred yards, right? They held them under not, not to ninety-seven yards. The All-State kicker, uh, Tommy Fowler. Uh, uh, Tommy's listening right now. He's going to go. Thanks for bringing this up. Uh, he. Uh, the All-State kicker missed a, uh, missed a couple field goals, and he missed a, two two extra points in the game. Uh, you know, just. You know, just happenstance. They they lost in four overtimes, 28-25, and Emmett Smith's team went on and easily won the next two games to win the state title. So a little bit of bad luck at Lee. Now, as far as how he got from Lee to Bowles, Bowles had been after him for about two or three years. Frank Callahan, the late athletic director, had been wanting to get Corky over there for a while. Uh, It actually was a, 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 a perfect storm. 
Corky in the spring of '88 gets hit by the car. Yeah. So you know, gets hit by the car, drunken driver. You know, requires 17, 19 leg surgeries. Okay, that fall in 1988, Corky also taught like two or three math classes at Lee. And for some unforeseen reason I could not explain, Lee High School, his alma mater, where he had already been coaching like 16 years, decided to put his classroom on the second floor, you know, with this leg impairment, you know. So that he'd have to either, you know, go up the stairs or things. And that kind of stuck in Corky's craw a little bit. Wow. That they put him on the second floor. So when the next spring arrived, and you know, same time, Lee's program was kind of diminishing a little bit. So you know, they were losing the reins a little bit more often. They didn't go to the, their their run of ten straight district titles had stopped. And all of a sudden, Bowles comes calling, and all of a sudden, you know, the, you know, the idea of going to the private, you know, high monkey monk private school on the south side of town doesn't seem like such a bad idea, you know, because they want you and they're and they're they're allowing him to take Wayne Belger with him. So I don't think they allowed to take one coach. And then he went and imposed his West Side mentality over there and got the weight room thing going. And uh, once he won that first state championship in '91, trailing by 13 po- or 11 points with six minutes to go, and they just went down. And after scoring only three points the whole game, scored two touchdowns, beat Bishop Burrow 17-14, and that kind of began the whole run. Wow, how about that? Uh, that good stuff. That, but it was. It was what you know. It was a little bit of combination of, of being feeling wanted by Bowles and feeling a little bit slighted by Lee yeah. that previous year. Yeah, uh, the 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 leap over to Bowles maybe uh, decided by fourteen steps or so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not all of it. A little bit. A little, well, that's little good. Bit. That's good insight. Uh, Gene Fournette from the Florida Times Union. Go read his article. Jacksonville dot com did a tremendous job. I know he's a great friend of yours, and uh, really, like you said, he's a great friend to so many. Even if uh, we all weren't as close as you were to him, uh, Gene, I feel like we all should have had a cold one right next to us. Talking yeah. about the stories of yeah. uh, Corky, Corky well, Rogers. I, Maybe you do, but we don't. <laughs> I'll tell you what, next, next Thursday, if you're, of course, you, you, you probably have your show, but anyway, the services, uh, uh, they're going to have a graveside service for Corky next Thursday. Uh, no formal funeral mass, but there will be a like a life celebration uh, sometime next Thursday afternoon. The location still... Uh, you know, there's a location they've got in mind, but they haven't firmed that up yet. Okay. Uh, we'll uh, keep everybody posted on that. Thanks for your insight, man. We appreciate it. We'll look forward to coverage of the late Corky Rogers as the days go along. Thanks, Brent. Thanks, right. Austin. Thanks, Gene. Gene Fournette, Florida Times Gene. We'll talk some uh, NFL football when we come back. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. I think I'm all around uh, the best. I think I can, I can run block. I can pass block. I'm coachable. Um, technician. Um, I think that's what makes me the best. That's Andrew Thomas, offensive lineman out of Georgia. Will the Jags go there? I told you the other day, no. I talked to some folks last night. Not Jags folks, but some. uh, That's what you do. I talked to some folks in Indianapolis. Sure you did. Who doesn't talk to folks in Indianapolis? You know, did you rub some elbows a little bit? Rub some elbows. Not really. You know, I probably should have done more of it. Not very good at that. Well, that's good, because that means you're networked with other radio stations as well, so we're going to have you for another year. Yeah. So that's fantastic. <laughs> but, I'm glad uh, you didn't talk to anybody. But there is a mindset amongst some people that do kind of know the Jags or cover the Jags or been around the Jags, like that will go get one of those offensive tackles uh, or 
could do that mm-hmm. and maybe move Cam Robinson or I just don't buy it. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I think they have so many holes, other spots that that's not. I don't want to say worth the upgrade because if you can get a guy that you think is going to be a stud for the next ten years, of course it's a an upgrade over a guy that you're still not sure about in Cam Robinson. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that wouldn't be a smart move for the organization in the future, the organization, everything. You're talking about a win now mentality, man. If you got a win now mentality, I don't see them doing that. It's based off what they've said about Cam Robinson, based off what they've said about their offensive line, and quite frankly, based off a guy that you really don't know. I mean, he could be good. I I don't think anybody has closed the book on Cam Robinson. Maybe some have, but I don't get the sense that we know what Cam Robinson is. So to say, oh, we they need they have to do that. And and by the way, the whole moving to the guard. I mean, we saw that with Jokel and other. You don't just move people around and say, oh, yeah, we're going to move people around. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. When you start saying, hey, we're going to move people around, usually problems exist with that. I get that, Brent, but let's look at it from this angle, though. And we broke down the offensive line, what, two days ago? And I kind of went through position yeah. by position, and I said, yeah, I mean, there might be a couple question marks there, but overall – you're maybe not too worried about it, and you have to make it work. Now, I said, I think as far as the coaching is concerned, obviously being the most penalized team in the NFL, well, a lot of that came from offensive line. So that needs to be cleaned up, no ifs, ands, buts about it. But I think if you're Dave Caldwell now, because this really stems from Dave Caldwell, saying that he likes what he has, right? Uh, well, well no, Marone did too, though. And Marone. But so they seem like they're yeah. on the same page. Okay, they're on the same page. Well, I hope so. Okay. I mean, is First that smoke screen? I don't well, think we're in smokescreen no, territory No, we're, we're not in smokescreen mode, but let's be honest, though. You're kind of in salvage mode a little bit because, once again, you were an extra life. We, we thought Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone were going to be gone for the 2020 season. They get awarded an extra life. So now, don't, you don't think Shad Khan's watching anything that they say? And you don't think Shad Khan's watching with the microscope going, you know what? If you're Dave Caldwell, you're not going to say, I'll tell you what, man, offensive line, I'm not a fan of it. We, we definitely have to upgrade. Because if you do that, then it shows that you're not doing your job properly. So from Dave Caldwell's perspective, of course you got to say you have a great offensive line, man, because you're in charge of putting it together. Yeah, I get what you're saying there. But you you can't do that. I mean, maybe it's two different conversations with the owner. It's a dangerous thing to do with the owner if you don't feel that way because the owner already way back in his first year said, hey, Gene Smith, Mike Malarkey, they told me they were going to be able to win and they didn't see you. Mm-hmm. You know, so and by the way, we could be in a see a year if they don't win here in Jacksonville anyway. So maybe it doesn't matter. I, I just didn't get the Listen, you can sense when there's smoke screens. I thought this was consistent messaging and has been even when I talked to Caldwell at the senior bowl mentioned his affinity for Cam Robinson. And so. I, I don't know. How I, I just well, don't feel like they're going offensive line. And not just no, based and, on the words. I, I don't know if that. I would do it is my point. Like I don't know if I would. They have too many other things to do that I'm not sure I'm taking the flyer on the offensive tackle here in the first round for the Jaguars. I like big. I like going big. And I really started to say that at the end of the season. Like, hey, give me big guys, big guys, big guys. So I understand the move. And you have to be more physical, right? Baltimore, San Francisco, Tennessee. But when you have so many holes... I think you have to weigh what you have versus the upgrade, and I'm not sure you're going to get it, especially in the first year with a rookie coming in instead of Cam Robinson. No, I hear you, man, but to say that you're happy with your offensive line, well, I get that, but guess what? You had the most penalized offensive line last yeah. year in the NFL. So to say you like what you see, I mean, you may, but you have a lot of things to clean up, man, because I, I said all the time on the show, you cannot be the most penalized team in the NFL and win football games. You are not built to do that. You aren't the Kansas City Chiefs. You don't have Patrick Mahomes. So 
Are you excited about it? I, I hope you are. I hope you're excited about your roster, but at the same time, well, there's I didn't still say a lot I'm of work. I'm excited about the offensive line. Okay, well, I'm just trying to fill holes no, in the draft. But I'm saying, man, for the perspective of you like what you get. You can like it all you want, man, but the, the fact remains, you had the most penalized offensive line last year, and that's got to get cleaned up. Whether you bring new guys in yeah. or you keep the same guys, it's got to get cleaned up. Yeah. Um, and by the way, one last thought on that. I do like I like continuity on the offensive line, and that makes you better. I will say that I'll give them this excuse, the offensive line. They did not all work together until the game started in September. Some of that was injuries because they had to get Cam Robinson ready to go. Some of that was the lack of playing time in August, whether that was a mistake by Marone. Mm-hmm. I'm not bailing them out. I'm just saying that's reality. And I do believe that the more you play together as a unit on the offensive line, that helps. I mean, we've seen that throughout the league. Uh, I always refer to the Giants because Giants had a young offensive line when they won that Super Bowl. But they had then played together for three years, four years maybe. And then that's when they, they became pretty good. So I do like that part. All right. I don't want to talk about the offensive line. That's not fun. I want to talk about <laughs> uh, the middle linebacker. Yeah. Miles Jack. Doug Marone brought up Miles Jack. And do we read between some words and some messaging here from Doug Marone at the Combine a couple of days ago? When we look at Miles, uh, first of all, he's doing really well. He's rehabbing well. And we're excited. Um, you know, he'll be back sometime in mid-March. I think that you know we're going to make sure that we 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 better the team as a whole. And the one thing about Miles is you know Miles has been great. Um, obviously he's you know he's a guy that is super talented. Played multiple positions for us already. And you know getting him comfortable is really what my main goal is, and putting him in a spot where you know he can go and play and and maybe not have to worry about a lot of other people. But you know he's done a good job. He's been able to call the defenses for us, been a leader on that side of the football. I think at the end of the day, whatever whatever combination is going to make us a better player, you know that's what we're going to do. But we're going to do that you know in discussions with the player first before we you know publicly go out there and, and tell people exactly what we're doing. Well, that's Doug Marone talk about the communication, which is a good thing. But I think it's funny because last April, maybe, remember, we were out there at the bowling event for Calais Campbell, and we had the quotes. I mean, I'd asked Miles Jack about being middle linebacker and could he go to – because we had had the discussions, yes, and did. he was adamant about middle linebacker, middle linebacker, middle linebacker. He'd been in training for that. Well, it didn't go so well for him. Uh, so I don't know where he's going to play. Do you think he'll be the middle linebacker? Do you think they make the move? And if they make the move, who are they going to get to play middle linebacker? Is that a free agency grab for the Jacksville Jaguars? First of all, I'm, I'm curious to see Todd Wash's comments about Miles Jack the middle linebacker because he was one that was adamant that Miles Jack is indeed a middle linebacker. From my perspective, I mean, I'm just going to keep on echoing what I've been saying for since the past, you know, the start of training camp last year, where I said, name me a team where your most athletic freak on defense plays middle linebacker. And, nine, and you probably can't do it because it just that's not what your athletic guy does, okay? Not to say Miles Jack can't eventually, you know, turn himself into a good middle linebacker. I'm sure he can. But I just think with his speed, you know, with his power, with his athleticism, you're doing him a disservice by putting him in the middle of the field and saying, you know what, you have to diagnose this, you have to diagnose this, you have to diagnose this. No, man. Turn that kid loose and just let him play. Let him run around. And unfortunately, the middle linebacker, it's not so easy to do. Yeah, and they might have just listened to the player too much in this regard. You know, maybe they just said, hey, he really wants to be there. We're going to give him a chance to be there. I I, I don't know. Uh, you know, they, they were a mess at linebacker overall last year for a myriad of reasons. That brings me to Isaiah Simmons, mm-hmm. a guy without a position, <laughs> but is listed as a linebacker. Do you yeah. see him playing linebacker in the NFL? 
And could you then bring in another guy that is super athletic, freaky athletic, and where would he play? Or, or does that not make sense because you do have Miles Jack already as that freaky yeah. linebacker? But the, the thing I say about Simmons is, one, you're a weak at linebacker, and two, you are looking for star players. And I look at him, could he potentially be Derwin James-esque? Uh, I think the comp he made was Tyron Matthew, I think somebody said today, or maybe he uh, said it. Yeah, Lance Zerline, NFL analyst from Combine, you know, NFL.combine.com, compared him to Darius Leonard. So he's all over the place. Yeah, know? so those guys, and you know what those guys do? They make plays. Sure. Uh, but is Miles Jack already kind of in the middle, not middle linebacker, but in the middle of your defense doing that? Do you need another one of those guys? Like, where would Simmons be on your wish list yeah. for the Jags, and how would he fit? Listen, so I've been pretty adamant about how I feel about Isaiah Simmons, right? Because everyone's saying this dude is a freak of nature. He can play safety. He can brush the passer. He can play outside linebacker. He can play inside linebacker. This guy can do it all. He's a jack of all trades. Fantastic, man. Miles Jack was that guy as well. Jabril Peppers coming out of Michigan, granted a little smaller. Jabril Peppers had a 6.8 combine grade um, after the combine. He had the highest uh, vertical jump. He had the best 40-yard dash. He had the best broad jump out of the linebacking group. All right? There was so much hype around Jabril Peppers. How is he doing now? Just okay. Didn't work out in Cleveland, playing for New York now. When you got a guy like Isaiah Simmons, yes, I see the Twitter video of him racing the running back yeah. and almost, I think he beat him or whatever it was. ETN, yeah. Dude, that's fantastic and that's great. But at the end of the day, that guy can only play the spot at one field at one time, right? Like you, you can't have the guy just walk around wherever he pleases because you have to build the team around it. So is Isaiah Simmons intriguing? Absolutely. Will he put up freakish combine numbers? Without a doubt. All I want to know is what spot is he going to play? Is he going to be a linebacker or is he going to be safety? Because to me right now, Brent, the Jaguars don't have the luxury of taking Simmons and being like, you know what, we're going to put him in this spot and then we're going to put him over here in this spot because you don't have the guys on defense. You don't have the talent, I think, on defense right now to be able to do that with somebody. Yeah, does he almost confuse you as a staff and coach and almost to the point where Miles did? I know this sounds kind of silly, but Mm -hmm. when a guy can do too many things – do you not know what to do with him? Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, and I mean, the Jacks have been in that situation before where they tried to put too many things on a player's play and hey, the guy's versatile. Well, we've learned this coming to the league and be an NFL player and, and learning like 15 positions is not ideal. Mm-hmm. And Miles will say that he had his head spinning in year one yeah. because they had him all over the place. And so I think he's a good example. Like, they should go to school on what they did with Miles Jack. And while I don't think Simmons and Miles Jack are like the same player, well, I, I, I do think their their athleticism speaks to their versatility, which also could get the Jags in a similar situation. It was like, okay, where do we put this guy? Yeah. Not where he wants to be, but where he's best for us. Well, and to be fair, too, I mean, as far as body types are concerned, like I brought up Jabril Peppers. He was only like 5'11", I yeah, believe. Yeah, I felt he was a small um, guy. Miles guy. Jack, like 6'1". I mean, Isaiah Simmons is 6'4". 6'4". Okay. And can he play tight end? <laughs> exactly, right? Can he, can he play both ways? Um Listen, I think with Isaiah Simmons, 6'4", 238 right now. To me, that's obviously a prototypical outside linebacker. I'd like to see him put on some more size if you wanted to play middle linebacker. Um, obviously, safety, too. You, you can put him back there. But, man, 6'4", safety, that's, that's freakish. But to be fair, once again, 
I don't want to draft guys where you want to see potential. Like, I want to bring in a guy and be like, you know what? You're a safety. Boom. Put your safety spot. You're a linebacker. Put your linebacker spot. The last thing I want to do with Isaiah Simmons is maybe bulk him up a little bit, have him play middle linebacker, and maybe his body doesn't respond well to that, right? Like When guys add 15, 20 pounds sometimes, you don't necessarily get the, the, the best output, what you want from your player. So I would rather draft a guy knowing where you're going to put him since day one as opposed to, all right, let's see what we got here. Let's see what he can do and then put him in a position. I, I want to get a guy that I know is going to play a certain spot. Not to say Isaiah Simmons can't play a certain spot, but I don't want to draft a guy on intrigue. I want to draft a guy on talent at one spot. 6'4", 238. Can you replace Yannick Ngakwe? <laughs> <laughs> How much is Yannick Ngakwe wearing now? 6'2", 246. There you and go. And nobody believes he's 246. Sure. Yeah. I mean, maybe. I, I, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, you, like I said, all the all the tangible people don't see him there, right? I mean, they see him as a pass rusher. I mean, as a, primarily, I still feel like, yes, you can be versatile. You can do a lot of things. That's okay. I still feel like he's going to be in the middle of the defense somewhere in the NFL. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say this, man. To bring him in as a pass rusher off the get-go, I think it's a bad idea because, like, look at Josh Allen, for for example. Josh Allen was rushing the pass out of a 3-4 outside linebacker spot pretty much his entire career, right? So he was he was ready to go from that position. Isaiah Simmons, if he's playing safety sometimes, if he's playing linebacker sometimes, I don't care how explosive, how talented he is. If he doesn't have a lot of experience rushing the passer, it's probably not going to correlate well to his rookie year. And if you're trying to replace Yannick Ngakwe, it's not going to go well your first year. I would just like to say that we can't keep replacing these players either. At some point, we got to hold on to some great players and add to them. Because if we're just replacing them, we're spinning our wheels as Jags, right? There it is, John Bachman. I know we oh. have to. Oh, don't look Brent, at me like that. Brent with the eye roll. I know we might have to, but that's sad as a Jags fan. Let's let's keep Jan and let's, let's add to Jan. Twenty dollar bill. I saw you hand over to John. Uh. <laughs> Hey, that's the right. face that runs the place. Hey. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the age-old question, right? Most people say the more you can do, right? In our business, John, the more you can do, right? That people up makes you. I feel like in the NFL sometimes, and and like if you listen to Simmons talk this week, he says, "Hey, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago, probably was a bad thing that I didn't necessarily have a position, but now it's an okay thing, mm. which is okay, but I still don't think it's a good thing." You know, like I, I feel like in the NFL, the the one thing you do well might be better than the more you can do. Does it make sense? Exactly. Listen, the, the the more you can do stems from a guy that's trying to make a roster, right? Like if you can play punt return, if you can go on the kickoff team, the punt team, like then you have a shot in the NFL because you can do a lot of things. Um, if you can be like a good backup linebacker, then yeah, then maybe you got a shot. But I'm talking about a bona fide starter, Brent. It's not the more you can do. Like, I don't need Khalil Mack to play middle linebacker one play, outside linebacker the next play. I just need Khalil Mack to be Khalil Mack. I just need Von Miller to be a rush outside linebacker. That's all I need Von Miller to do. Von Miller could play safety. He could play middle linebacker. He could maybe play corner, dude. Like, the guy's that big of a freak. But I don't need that from Von Miller, man. I just need Von Miller to do what he does. So from that perspective, you're absolutely right, Brent. It's not the more you can do. I just need you to do the one thing extremely well. Yeah, well, it begs the question, too, though. It, it, that's a fascinating discussion in any walk of life, really. And so I, I wonder that, too, sometimes. Like, hey, everybody tells you the more you can do, but what if you just did one thing great? Now you're rolling the dice, yeah. <laughs> right? And you're like, that, that one thing's going to pay off. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that focus on that one thing might be a, a, a better deal. I mean, heck, that's how we got into specialization in sports, mm -hmm. quite frankly. But the Jags want this hybrid. Uh, we don't know if they do, but we kind of assume that they're going to create this hybrid type of defense, 4-3-3-4, three, three, 
something that you said a while ago. They said they probably wanted to implement. I think I've heard some rumblings that but Yannick wasn't in camp last year, all this stuff. Well, Josh Allen is kind of a more-you-can-do guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he's very good at rushing the passer, but he also, you can send him out with a receiver, or you can do those things. So well, there is an example too. that you can excel even being the more you can do. Well, and he also played Clayus Campbell's big end spot this year, too, when Clayus was out. He was playing the big end spot, literally assigned you as a five technique on a tackle, which is something that Josh Allen had never played before. Now, did he do great at it? Probably did okay. Yeah. You know, it takes time to learn. But, yeah, I mean, Josh Allen is, is a versatile guy from that standpoint. But once again... If I have it my way, Brent, I want Josh Allen rushing the passer. Sounds, and that's it, man. Sounds to me like you don't want Isaiah Simmons. Dude, I don't mind Isaiah Simmons at all, but I just want Isaiah Simmons to either play linebacker. like they, I just want the Jaguars to have an idea of what to do with Isaiah Simmons. Yeah. I don't want Isaiah Simmons to come to training camp and it's like, all right, let's see what this guy's got. Whoa, this guy's fast. Put him at safety? I, I don't know. Like, I don't want those conversations, Brent. I want day one, if the Jaguars draft Isaiah Simmons, it's going to be he's playing this position, and we're going to go from there. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I think multiple tasked players might work if that's what your entire team was made up of, and you could kind of use that as a strategy to throw off the other guys. You don't yep. know what's, who's who's going to be doing what any given day, but if you only have a handful or even just a couple of guys who could do that, to your point, I'm not sure how successful that'll be. And it sort of brings to mind like the Houston Rockets. Like, how's that going to really work in the playoffs? You know, these guys bunch of sh- shorter guys that can can play from the outside, but do they have anybody inside, and how well will that work? Yeah, Not, well, not the same exact thing, but the same idea. You you could make a case that the Jags could go down that road and just try it, mm-hmm. but then you need a lot more than just two guys. It's funny. Coaches, I, I think, think, love to brag about – not brag, but they love to say, hey, this guy can do this and this and this. Think about Will Richardson, right? He's playing right tackle. He's playing right guard. Heck, he sure. might even slide into center in the preseason. And up at right guard. Yeah. All right, because well, he wasn't well. One, he wasn't needed at those spots, but he ended up a right guard. Think about Ronnie Harrison and Jared Wilson. Hey, they can be interchangeable. I can count on one hand how many times Jared Wilson. I feel like at least played strong safety. There, there was hype around that too, though. There Remember was. We talked about that with Jared Wilson. Actually, he said he was excited to play strong safety this year. Didn't really see a lot of that. To get to Will Richardson's point, listen, Will Richardson was supposed to be a backup lineman, right? So from that perspective, versatility is key, Brett, That's because when a guy goes down, yeah. you, you may need a guard to play tackle spot, or you, you yeah. may need a guard to play center spot. Much so, like Tyler Shatley. Exactly. Yeah. So, that's a bad thing if you got guys going down. If well, that's, I mean, that's to your point. You yeah. don't want guys doing, having but, to do that. Exactly, but versatility is absolutely key in terms of depth sure. because you have to play more than one spot. Sure. But when we're talking about possibly the number nine pick, Oh, no, no, no. I, I don't need versatility. I need an elite talent at a single position. I need his versatility to be play the position, make the Pro Bowl, lead us to the playoffs. So that's <laughs> that his versatility. Kind of versatility. There you go. Um, but, you know, in my job, I need versatility in case John needs me to fill in. Borish needs me to fill in the weather. Did weather back hey, in the day. I almost day. had to do weather really? the other night. Did you guys watch that? Poor Burrish is. Uh, oh, his, Steph he, told me about yeah, it. Yeah, he, was, he was having. He, he was not making. She it said through I felt the, so the weather. <laughs> and I was like, I, I'm sitting here going. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I, the last thing I wanted, in my mind, I'm running down all the options. I could give him some water and hope that works, which I did. That <laughs> so was the like first thing I did. Throat, I literally right? was like the marathoner guy handing him yeah. water like every other second. <laughs> and I was just like, please work, please work, because the other option was to step in and do the weather, which, Lord help us all, if I'm having to do that. I used I, A little known fact, back when I was just getting this business, that was one thing I was toying with was whether I wanted to be a meteorologist. I was a scientist backgrounded guy. Yeah. And uh, I could tell. I'm like I'm like, oh yeah, I, I could do that. That'd be great. Man, I did the wall one time and I was like, this is this is not for me. I seriously oh, did yeah. weather in, in Alexandria, Louisiana, my first job. Did you really I did I did the How news. Hard was that, man? I did the weather uh, in the, the green screen. So 
that part of it's not so hard. It's the actual, like, you know, forecasting, you know, oh, like shoot. the science behind well, it. By the way, we're in Alexandria, Louisiana. Yeah. It was market 173, okay? Yeah, it's okay. like in the middle of nowhere. You can be really good and not be that good. <laughs> <laughs> we, no, we were not forecasting, yeah, yeah, okay? Yeah, yeah. We got this thing and we ripped it down from the Weather Channel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you took that and you, but you had to build graphics and everything, oh, man. Oh, sure. Like, I, I, yeah. You do the whole thing. Yeah. It was awesome, though, because I, like you, I kind of toyed with the weather idea, but I was terrible at science. Yeah. So I was I am not doing this biology and all this other stuff you got to get through to, to get a weather degree. Sure. But I, I've, I've loved the weather. I've always been intrigued yeah. by the weather. Yeah. Um, so, by the way, I would have handled that differently. Okay. I would have taken the water away from Barish and, and just did the weather. And then just pushed him out of the way and said, move over, I got move this. over I got old this. man, I got this. I got this. Well, well, I, like it, man. I, I had less confidence in my in my talents and said, come on, baby, drink some water. Please get through it. it. Yeah. Get through this. Yeah, that, that'd be like Brent getting sick and I'd take over for like the, the, the I mean, sports. It, it would have been like, the no. painful, you know, pull up the full screen and say, read the full screen. You know, read yeah. what people are looking at. They're like, what are you adding to this? Oh, Absolutely man, nothing. We're just, hey, then you take over the slogan at least for that moment of ESPN 690. We're just trying to make just it. Just trying to make it. Just trying to make it. And can the Jaguar slogan of 2020 we as well? Might, it's, <laughs> it's the heavy favorite to be the Jag slogan yeah. in 2020. Oh. Vegas has them favored right now. And the only reason it's a heavy favorite is the other ones all have curse words in them. Yeah. yeah. You can't yeah. use that one. <laughs> People are upset. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that could be gosh. their slogan. The Jaguars. People, People are upset. upset. That's, a good, that's a good one too. <laughs> We're on to something here, man. we got to put this together. Together. Uh, what's what do you have? Anybody upset? In the, well, everybody's upset with the Dow Jones. The Dow Jones. I mean, another thousand point drop today. They just closed at four o'clock, and has uh, it always closed at four? Yeah. Has it? Yeah, for as long as I can remember. It did. Okay, I just figured um, nine to five. I don't know. I never noticed that. It it closed at four, and uh, th- so that makes two days this week with a thousand point losses. Oh, the other or more. one was nine hundred, and the other one was eight fifty or nine hundred, and then another one was like sixty. I mean, it has been. I, I read somewhere, and I don't have this. You know, I, I don't. I can't cite the source, but I I, I believe it's the worst week. Uh, or I'll, I'll, let me say this: one of the worst weeks safely since two thousand and eight. Yeah, I was the market. I, um, I saw a thing today. It said it's six months. It what was built up in six yes. months. We're back down to twenty five thousand. We were at twenty nine thousand. Was gone down. in two days. Yes. So not even counting today. It was yeah. gone in two it days. It was bad. It was bad. So I mean, it's all coronavirus related. Well, directly and indirectly, right? So you've got the coronavirus impacting a lot of business in China mainly, and in other in other areas, but primarily China. So you've got some direct impact. Then you have the indirect impact, which investors hate uncertainty. Sure. Uncertainty is is bad. Whether even you know just any kind of uncertainty. So that's that's where we are with this. Is the the uh, investors are are scared uh, based on what could or you know the, their worst possible fears. Even though we hope that's not going to be the case. So yes, it's hard fact. You know, China is not producing as much stuff right now, and also the fear of what could happen. Those there's, are the two main factors. No such thing as balling anymore around here. It's just falling. It's just falling yeah. when it comes yeah. to the Dow Jones. So besides that, of course, you're going to be doing some stuff with us for Corky Rogers. Yeah, I'm going to pop down and uh, do that uh, top of the five uh, on TV on CBS 47 and Fox 30. We'll have team coverage on Corky Rogers. We're just catching up with some uh, former players, Riley Skinner included. Here's um, something. And Matt Tobin, the current coach. And Chipper uh, Jones weighed in, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, here's something we talked about in the newsroom today. Somebody brought it up primarily just for discussion. But, you know, of course, Mayor Jake Gobbold passed not yep. that long ago. And someone made the argument, I think mostly for argument's sake only, but that 
Corky had as big or bigger impact on this area than the mayor did. Now, I don't wow. think I agree with that, but his point was, I think, that direct impact to, to, to people. I mean, it, you think about all the people he's influenced over his career. It's a great call. Um, and so, by the way, anyway. influenced the football in the state of Florida and probably in some respects across the country. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think anybody would allow themselves to admit that fully. Yeah. Right. Because it's a football right. coach, right. not a mayor. Right. Um, but the fact that you bring it up and I don't know what's right or wrong. I'm just saying you bring it up and you sit there and think about it for a second. We'll right. show you the scope of his impact. You yes. know, that's not it's not a contest here who had the more impact. It's no. more about they both had tremendous. They both had tremendous impact. Just puts it in perspective yeah. how much impact uh, really did. Something and, to think and, about. And, and by the way, at the, I say this a lot. Uh, and. I, I listen. I'm like I'm a public school guy. <laughs> I mean, I grew up back home where we're for like it's not yeah. a, now it's more kind of meshed together. I don't think there is this public school versus private school thing. At least I don't feel that down here. Maybe that's just because I don't go to school. But back home, it was that. Like there was like oh. this angst. It was like we're public school kids and they're private school kids, and it's a different playing field. But we're all still playing. You know, there was that, and, I, and you sense that a bit sometimes uh, around here. Our I biggest think. rival was a private school for sure. And, and so Growing I'm not up. knocking it. I, so so I say this. Um, and this is reality that the impact Corky Rogers made on so many of those football players, and again that community and bowl school. If you look at our city and the makeup of our city, and how many people went to the bowl school that are, I'll put in quotes, the movers and shakers of mm-hmm. the city. Mm-hmm. I think it shows you the impact mm-hmm. felt even by the guy roaming the sidelines on the football field. Mm-hmm. And I think so many of those people whether they're still in sports or they're in city council or they're in politics elsewhere or, or high-ranking Former major positions, league baseball players, whatever it might right. be, I think we'll all say they were impacted in some respect mm-hmm. um, by that. So I think that's As kinda, a lot of coaches do, by the way. That's pretty a lot cool. of good coaches have but great impact. I, I guess period. what I'm doing is, is saying you're right about the city. If you think about all the people yeah. that went to Bulls, maybe even played for Corky Rogers and what they're doing in all different levels of our city, Right, you know, from a sports standpoint, political standpoint, educational standpoint, all and those Lee things. too, right? What was? Yeah, he, did he, he come from Lee or did he go? Yeah, well, went to Lee. He's a West yeah. Side guy, that's and, right. and then he coached at Lee for 17 years. And right. I, we had Gene Fernet on earlier, and I think that's the undertold part of I, I would Corky's agree. story, and I, and I almost feel bad for that to some degree because uh, he helped build the backyard, man, mm-hmm. at Lee High School, and so uh, Edgar Bennett, Leroy Butler. Those great runs. Right. I mean, Gene just brought up, I think they won 10 district championships in a row at Lee. And so, yes, Lee is every part of the story, even though most people now associate Corky sure. Rogers with Bowles because of the 10 state championships. Yeah. He was at Bowles for 28 years and 17 years for Lee. But I don't think you can forget about the Lee side of the story when it comes to Corky Rogers. So we'll hear more about that, of course. And um, one more thing before I get to the most important one. and uh, Local Starbucks hiring veterans and their spouses. Huh, nice. Um, they're, they're focused on it. Uh, Toast there to you that. go. I know. Is, oh, is, yeah. <laughs> Nicely done, yes. Brett. Well, well placed. Uh, did, did you get that on the camera? There? Yeah. I don't know. Would you, you want to work with their spouse, though? What's that? Well, would you want to work with their spouse, though? Well, I'm not saying that they necessarily hire them both. I'm oh, saying they're okay. hiring Let either me veterans ask if or spouses. listening right now. Hold <laughs> on. Or spouses. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, so <laughs> perhaps there are some couples working, but mostly it's okay, I got one, one or, or the other. other. Okay, correct, I correct. got you. I got you. Um, I tell you what. I would not want to work with my spouse in this business. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, this, especially this, it's and a so lot of, hard. A lot well, do, but 
It no is. way. First of all, it, there's there's an ego involved, but also just the family life, right? I mean, if you have oh, kids, yeah. Yeah. these hours are crazy. I, there's, I mean, well, this is one of those professions, though, where you get out in front of a newsroom sometimes and, and you swear at people and yell and all that <laughs> stuff, and it could what? be your wife. What? And then, no. but then you go have a drink with them later at night. But, but yes. especially when Brent, like when I'm first starting out, hey, one piece of advice for you. Trust nobody. I'm like, okay, well, well, yeah, so that'd be hard to, you know, have a... Ask John if you subscribe to that one. piece of wow. advice. I'm, <laughs> we, can, we can talk offline, Austin. Been doing this a long time. I don't know, man. Like, I, feel like John's swans. A, I feel like John's a nice guy. I'll take him to the airport. That's such an that. inside joke. Okay, sorry. <laughs> oh, I think he but, knows. Everybody but knows, knows I people. promise. <laughs> that might know what that means. Uh, okay. 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 Shoot. Uh, okay. Everybody done laughing because now we need everybody to pay attention. Uh, I've tweeted out this information at Bachman A and Jax. I hope you will as well. Brent, retweet us. But right now we have three kids, young kids, three, five, and six, missing from St. Mary's, Georgia. Their father, Kings Bay sailor, uh, they believe these kids are in extreme danger. And uh, we're... Now, when you say the, the dad, he their dad is a they sailor? Are, or, they are with or him, with and he, he is a Kings Bay sailor. NCIS is leading the investigation to try to find him and the kids. It's possible their mother is with them as well. Um, they are. They were last seen in a black 2019 Toyota Tundra pickup truck. So in Georgia, it, in Georgia and St. Mary's, uh, they have a Georgia license plate that I um, here. Let me read it real quick. But I also have tweeted this so that you, I'm a visual learner. So if you hear this on the radio and you're driving right now, it's not going to help you much. But let me see if I can uh, get By it. By the way, quick. we've had a lot of missing children as of late. Oh, yeah, it's it, it's in. And this does not now, sound fortunately good. the you brought you brought our attention to one uh, young person about a week ago and by five. Oh, five. Yeah. They had found, yes. the, I think it was a young boy, but uh, all right, give us so a here's plate. So the, here's the Georgia license plate they're looking for, RTQ7135. 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 Bachman A. and Jax, if you're a visual learner and you want to see it, I have tweeted that information out. I know Brent will probably retweet it. Austin, you can I got retweet you, it. ESPN 690 will retweet it. we got to uh, try to help uh, find these three kids. Um uh, feared to be in extreme danger with their with their father, um, and it's a bad situation. So okay. we're following that at five. We've got a bunch of stuff going on. We got, I think Christy Turner was up in Georgia doing another story, so she jumped on that. Uh, Russell Colburn uh, uh, drove up there as soon as we heard, and he actually, I think, spoke. Um, let me see. He's got something really crazy. I think. Uh, let's see. He talked with. Uh, I can't find it, of course. Oh, here we go. Um, Talked with a friend who claims to have talked with the mom on the phone recently. Recently, so okay. um, and actually, Christie's getting that sound right now. That interview. So, All right. Well, so we'll uh, lots of stuff going on. Push with that, that license plate out, and hopefully, five, there's a happy ending. Yeah, there. by five o'clock, we might have more some more information. So. All right, uh, John Bachman, yeah. Tanika Hughes, uh, Mike Burrish. Hope it with some water at his yeah, side. Yes, his voice is good. Last okay. last night he was he made it without having to have a water break. All right, my yeah. water my water supply did not need to be tapped for that. All right, then uh, Action Sports Jack no. team will have team coverage of the passing of uh, Corky Rogers as well. Coming up, CBS 47 and Fox 30, 5 p.m. until 7 p.m. and then later tonight, 10 p.m. until 11:30. We'll also have more coverage from the combine as well on the sports side of things. That's John Bachman. All right, guys, we're going to talk more about Corky Rogers uh, with another coach in the area that knows him really well fellow Hall of Famer.
It's on the way. Action Sports Chats on ESPN 690. Hey, welcome back. Action Sports Chats on ESPN 690. Uh, quick change, costume change. I'm going to have to jump out of here in a little bit to do uh, some TV on the Corky Rogers front. We're going to talk to Kevin Sullivan in just a couple minutes as well about that. Uh, some thoughts on social media that we're getting, though. And uh, interesting. Let's see. Rob Gorbin says... Forget the combine. I won't say what he said. Talk to the Jags season ticket holders about their so-called discounts. So apparently, I think it came out today, and, and I was flying this morning. I didn't see all of this. I've just seen some of it on social media at, you know, the whole ticket discount that the Jags fans were going to get. I don't think the fans are liking it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think some people have said uh, they're saving $18. So it, I think what happened – well, I don't know what happened. I just said, you remember 50% off like preseason tickets Correct. was the number? But overall, there was going to be like a 10% savings, I think was the number. Okay. I'm pretty sure that was kind of what the messaging was. And I think you had, it was almost like the fine print because the way I took it at first was like, wow, 50% off preseason and then 10% off the regular season. Yeah. I don't think that's what it was. Uh, and so this kind of reaction, it's not like too widespread. But that doesn't surprise me. I think there might have been some misinterpretation of it or kind of fine line stuff um, but is my it, guess. With the 50% off, too, I think people assumed it would be 50% off last year's cost, and it's actually 50% off this year's cost. So, like, I'm not sure how, you know, the percentages work, but obviously I think prices have gone up a little bit. So I think people are a little upset with that as well. Yeah. Uh, Which And Barry says yeah. the same thing. Let's talk about the joke season ticket prices. Uh, the Jags put out today. Burial says, not only can we not provide viability or take on the burden of all the home games, we also think we can't do simple math. So, uh, obviously some more angst on that. I gotta be honest with you. I, I haven't seen, I, I get season tickets, so I have not seen any of that today. Uh, so I don't know the exact math on it, other than I know some people were not happy with it, uh, and what they thought it was going to be. Uh, Real M. BB says, can't wait for the Jags to draft top 10 player who is Jalen's agent when we were talking about Simmons. Mm-hmm. I guess he's got Jalen's agent. Oh, there you go. Well, listen, they're not going to not draft people because of the – I mean, they're going to deal with more players down the road that have Jalen's agent. Yeah. Same goes for Jan's agent. Same go- It just happens. I mean, yep. that, that's the way – you can't not pick people because of that. Uh, I think that's dangerous. Randy Dean says, Miles will remain in the middle, in my opinion. Quincy Weekside, we need O-line, D-line at number nine. And I think a lot of people would agree, although I don't agree with the O-line, as that's where they're headed. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're asking me what I think the Jags will do, I doubt it's offensive line. Although the next guy on the line probably says, yeah, go after the big fellas. Go after the offensive line. We need more offensive line. James won and lost in the trenches. Probably what Kevin Sullivan would say as the old coach. What's up, man? How you doing? Uh, buddy, doing okay, man. Doing okay. Yeah, I don't mind. Let's get a big body inside. If we can get Derek Brown there at number nine and he's there, we got to take him. Yeah, I think a lot of people agree with that. A lot of people agree with that. I think uh, the problem is, I think like Daniel Jeremiah, his big board that he does, I think he's like number two. Yeah. Listen, Derek Brown, the much as they're talking about him, he's not getting a number nine. (laughs) No, I know. I'm with you on that. It'll be interesting to see, sort of like last year, you know, you know how Josh sort of slid to us a little bit. You had to take him. You had no choice at that point. That was a great pick. So I, I'm with you guys on that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. But I love all this. Uh, I do love, like, the spin on everybody. Uh, uh, yeah, well, we're going to look. What The Redskins are going to look at a quarterback now. And all the smoke <laughs> and mirror stuff start coming around now. Uh, hey, I know uh, 
you're not on social media. I think you gave it up for Lent, you said, right? Yes, sir. Well, yes, sir. that means you're not seeing all the, the love uh, for Corky Rogers on social media. There's a lot of it. And, uh, by the way, we're talking with Kevin Sullivan, uh, former Jackson co- uh, coach, Atlantic uh, Coast coach, Hall of Famer in the state of Florida, and does our Friday night's games of the week, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 last season as we debuted that, and that was a lot of fun. But also, obviously, in the coaching circles, you know Corky Rogers really well. Uh, we've been talking about him a lot of the show. I think it's been uh, well worth spending the time on the legacy left behind uh, by coming. Corky Rogers. Tell us from the coaching side of things, uh, how well respected, how much you maybe learned from him. Uh, what's the coaching circle saying about Corky Rogers today? Well, I mean, I think everybody, you know, anybody uh, way back when I first came, even before I came, I really hadn't known him for anything. Uh, one of my old coaches said, reach out and find out when I was, sort of researching the Jackson job back in 98. You know, I called Dan Dish and I, and I called Corky. You know, Corky was up front and everything like that. And, uh, you know, that could have been one of the reasons I ended up coming with a respected guy like that. But we sort of always were friends. And I don't know why he – I don't know why he sort of took me in under his wing. Uh, but, you know, call him, talk to him, go by practice. Uh, it was just crazy the way he – he he invited me into the Bulls family, even though I wasn't one of the Bulls guys. You know, um, Jaguar tailgate, I'd get a text from one of the guys, hey, we're going to be here, or Florida, Georgia, or even after their games or a birthday party, like a 72nd birthday party, they text me and I go out over there and hang out with those. So it was always, they always sort of included me in the family, and it was always, uh, it was always quite an honor to be included in in his circle of friends. Talking with uh, Kevin Sullivan, uh, obviously in the coaching circles for a long time here in Jacksonville in the high school ranks, and uh, the passing of Corky Rogers uh, last night, and everybody talking about Corky Rogers here today, including us on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Here's uh, what's wild to me, Coach, that for 45 years he did it he did it his way it worked it didn't matter that kids changed didn't matter that generations changed and even if you look at his style of play hardly changed i would say yet was still super effective that's unusual in sports that's unusual in your game especially because it seems to evolve all the time maybe even every decade yeah, and and I think they got a little bit more gun and a little bit more, but I think the principles of what he believed in, you know, I, I think it was all about being fundamentally sound and being tough. And you and you guys know, Brett, you've been here ten years, and you know some of the most talented teams that he had that '04 team. Heck, they came here in the round of eight and beat us by forty. And I don't think if we played ten times, they beat us by forty ten times. You know what I mean? And he just got. To me, what the respect to the part that I think the coach is, sure, he had those great players every now and then, but he just had regular guys, man, and, and he brought the best out of his kids. And uh, not just his kids, but I think our coaching community, because there were a bunch of guys that would go to practice when they were in the playoffs or they would go to um, – uh, he'd invite everybody in. And, you know, there's a lot of different guys over the years that have been to his practice. And he just treated you like you were supposed to be there. You know what I mean? It was uh, it was really a unique situation, um, and it didn't matter if you know. And you know how it is when you win; everybody sort of hates you, don't hate you. The dude was such a competitor on the field, but he was so different off the field as far as uh, respectful and humble and and everything. You know, and it, it's just amazing. And 
you know, I, I talked to uh, somebody this morning, and I was like, can, can you even fathom the impact that that man has had in this community? I'm not talking about just football, just people in general, waitresses at the Bonos. Matter of fact, that's why I started eating at Bonos, because Courtney Rogers <laughs> would go to Bonos, Bonos every day. Yeah, you said it worked you for know? him. Maybe it will work for I, me. And that's exactly right. And that I was like, heck yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. If Courtney goes, I'd start to go to Bonos. You know? <laughs> And, hey, uh, did you ask him what he ate there, and did he eat the same thing? <laughs> oh, I, I, no, he ate the same thing every day, every week, every game day or every week that they went. But, uh, yeah, that was I always found that was sort of interesting. And, uh, and you know, and then they had the glo- World Global Games here, and we had the All-Star Game. And, and I always – he called me, and he said, hey, why don't you coach in this All-Star Game with me? And I'm like, all right, great. So I get there, and it's the bowl staff and me, and I go, what am I, the token public school guy? Is that why I'm here? You know? And he's like, yeah, 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 you're good, you're good. We'll we'll, we'll talk about it after practice and stuff. But it was uh, it, it, it's just a tremendous career. But I think, you know, the wins and the state championships, I think that's what pretty much everybody has, has talked about. But the kids that have played for him or the guys that have coached against him, I mean, I think it's more than match your – with the best, you know, that's what I think it was. Hey there, Coach Austin Land, man. It's great to hear from you. You know, when when you guys go, like, to, you know, because you're a former coach yourself, so when you go to these high school conventions, you know, and you're talking to all these coaches, generally how it works is, you know, you talk to them, and maybe you pick up something where you add your own coaching style, right? And I think with the right. success yep. that – you know, Corky Rogers had. I mean, obviously, there's probably a lot of things to take away um, to add to your own style. But I guess my question to you, Coach, is what is the biggest thing that Corky Rogers taught you in, in terms of coaching that you kind of added, that you kind of added to your style a little bit and worked with your players? Well, probably the biggest takeaway, again, in that All-Star game in 04 was uh, they, they used to tie their uh, certain plays to the snap count. Okay. And so when we go to the all-star game, you know, the, whatever they're calling the, their formation and then their buck sweep, it was on one or their three-step game was on color or whatever it was. And um, I was like, oh, my God, that is like the greatest thing in the world. And I said to Corky, I said, Corky, where did you get that? I go, oh, Coach, I've been doing that like 20 years. And, and I'm like, I go, how many offside penalties do you average a year? He goes, ah, maybe two. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, we're putting that crap in as soon as we get back to school. I said, I'm putting that stuff in. And so we started doing that, tying certain runs to snap counts and certain pass plays to snap counts. So our kids knew if it was an inside zone run, it was on two. If it was an outside zone run, it was on one. You know, and, and to me, it really helped us coaching-wise. It really helped us coaching-wise. And, um, you know, and that's one little small thing. Uh, that I took that took from him is just just the the things that he believed in and what he believed in is pretty much what he believed in and uh he he tinkered and changed a little bit through the years, but overall um I mean I think it was the same style same same brand same everything that he was trying to do um as it went on so Really cool. Yeah, thanks for uh, sharing the stories, Coach. Uh, it sounds by the, like uh, the 5 o'clock train came on Main Street, by the way. Yeah, the 5 o'clock train. We got baseball and softball doubleheader getting ready to kick off the season. Tonight, so. Man, you, can't, you, can't, you, can't, you just can't stop working. Oh, no. I, I tell you what, though, spring break's coming. I'm going to be up in some mountain. I'll be up in the mountain, <laughs> up somewhere.
no phone, no internet, no nothing. When spring break comes, that's my getaway and everything. So. Uh, enjoy it. Thanks for sharing some memories of Corky Rogers. We appreciate taking the time, Kevin Sullivan. All right, guys. Awesome. Take care. Good luck on your fight, big timer. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Uh, see you. See. Thanks to uh, Kevin Sullivan. You know, it's interesting. We've talked a lot about how much he's impacted players, right, and yeah. young men. Well, how much did he impact the coaching circle Of course, here, right? Kevin yeah. Sullivan just brought you a great example. Yeah. I mentioned Duran Wiley. I mean, he gives a ton of credit yeah. to what Reigns has become again, just from a competitive standpoint, going up against Corky Rogers and how they made them better. Yeah. Uh, and Duran Wiley says it, and hopefully we'll get him on either today or tomorrow cool. to talk about it. And then listen, like I said, I didn't know Corky Rogers, man, but it, it's fun hearing coaches talk about that wing T offense, right? Because that's actually something I ran a little bit in high school myself. We used to run like the, the cross buck, we called it, the cross buck sweep, and a lot of that stems from the wing T. So it's just cool hearing these old school terms get brought up again, man. It's, it's awesome. More NFL talk, more Corky Rogers talk. One final hour to go. I'm going to step out for some TV, so Austin will take it for a little bit, and I'll be back up as well. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 6. Rolls on here on a Thursday. Thanks for hanging out with us. You know, they'll be able to help me, obviously, in, in the seat I'm in. They understand what's going on. I think those coaches that are like Jay or, or, or Ben, you know, they've dealt with a lot of players, a lot of different people. So, you know, dealt with a lot of coaches, managed a lot of people. So I think, you know, those things are always going to help you if you handle things, you know, the right way, which both of them did. And then, you know, for me, it was just a matter of, hey, listen, you know, what do these, you know, what do these guys want to do? They want to win for, for Jacksonville. They want to win for us right here. That, that's their whole focus and their whole goal. Head coach Doug Marone talking about newly acquired coaches in Ben McAdoo and Jay Gruden. Uh, ESPN 690 Action Sports, Jack's Austin Lane. Uh, taking over for a little bit while Brent Martineau goes downstairs to cut some video. For the news side of things, I'm um, obviously doing some stuff for Corky Rogers today um, as he passed away at 76, legendary football coach. You know, and speaking of coaches and getting back to Doug Marone's comments a little bit here about Ben McAdoo, listen, from the perspective of the the intrigue and the excitement coming into this season for the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'll be honest, I'm I'm a little intrigued by what Jay Gruden's going to offer, obviously, and what, what Ben McAdoo can offer as well. Obviously, Ben McAdoo from Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers speaks very highly of him, said that Ben McAdoo helped him put over, you know, um, where he was as a player and kind of took him to a new echelon. So I like the endorsement of Aaron Rodgers, and, and I like the fact that Ben McAdoo, the, the, the one con you can say with McAdoo is the fact that he's a Tom Coughlin guy. And as a head coach of the New York Giants, he didn't really gel a lot with that new school player. So obviously being a quarterback's coach, you're not going to have a lot of influence of how practices are ran and things like that. So I think just from a, a solely a quarterback coach, I think Ben McAdoo's okay. I, I think he's going to be great. Um, one could argue as well, though, keep in mind, the reason he got fired really from New York was the fact that when we're talking about Eli Manning and Geno Smith, he took Geno Smith over Eli Manning. Obviously, we know how that panned out, and then he was relieved of his duties further down the line. So you got to hope, though, being the quarterback's coach, that you make the right decision between Gardner Minshew and Nick Foles. And I get it. It's going to be an open competition, but obviously I think the needle is going to be leaning towards the young guy in Gardner Minshew. And then obviously with Jay Gruden as well, you know, you're, you're bringing a guy who carries a name with the last name of Gruden, you know, it's so, um, it's so known for various offenses and intrigues. So from that perspective as well, I, I think Doug Marone hit it right in the head where he has to be excited. He has to be intrigued and this can either go really great 
Oh, it can go really bad because you have to ask yourself, is this too many cooks in the kitchen? You have three head coaches now on basically one side of the ball on offense because, you know, Doug Marone a, is a former def- uh, offensive line coach himself, the head coach now, but more of an offensive-minded guy. So you have three head coaches, you know, looking over that offense. It can either go really well or it can absolutely be a dumpster fire and time will tell. But obviously kind of the, some of the big stories this week revolving the NFL is the Combine. And the Combine finally kicks off tonight in prime time for the first time ever. Um, I think tonight we're gonna, they're gonna be featuring the tight ends, the quarterbacks, and the wide receivers. And, you know, obviously from the quarterback position, Joe Burrow's not gonna compete, which, hey, if you're asking me, that's perfectly fine. When you're the number one pick of the draft, you can essentially do whatever you want. If I was Joe Burrow and they asked me to get an, like an, 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 an when they asked me to get an MRI machine, I would probably say absolutely not. I'm Joe Burrow. I'm a, I'm the number one pick. Uh, good luck with that. So if I'm Joe Burrow, I'm not doing anything, man. I'm just saying check the tape and everything. Oh, cool. You want to talk about my hand size? Check the tape. Oh, that's great. You want to talk about my height? Go ahead and check the tape. Oh, that's cool. Do you want a question about my, you know, my want to to be in Cincinnati or not? Yeah, it is what it is. Go ahead and check the tape. So Joe Burrow's obviously not going to be doing a lot of passing drills and things like that. He's more of watching. But something I'll keep an eye on for this combine going on tonight, because once again, it is prime time. I guess the NFL Network thinks it is must-see TV. We'll see how the ratings come back. But one intriguing thing from the combine is the fact that they kind of changed up the drills a little bit. And tonight what you're going to see from the wide receivers and tight ends, I'm not sure if you guys remember that that toe-tap drill, which essentially kind of mimicked where you're, you're, you're in, a, obviously, a game. The quarterback throws the ball to the sidelines. The receiver tries to has to get two you know toe, two toes in bounds um, to be a reception. That drill is gone. And that drill has actually been replaced now by the end zone fade drill, which I'm a huge fan of. Basically, what the end zone fade drill is, you run a go route or a fade route to the end zone. You have to gather your bearings, gather your awareness, and make your catch inbounds, obviously, and score the touchdown. So from that perspective, I like that a lot. Now, once again, and and I've been preaching about this the entire time during the combine here where I get it. You know, these drills – it really kind of it can put a player over of what you think about him, right? Like if, if if DK Metcalf comes in and runs a four three, obviously that's intriguing. Obviously you like him as a wide receiver. If DK Metcalf comes in and runs a worse shuttle than Tom Brady, well then that hurts your draft stock. I don't care who you are. Now DK Metcalf showed that this season the shuttle time didn't really matter. Sure, Tom Brady might have more swag than me in the shuttle run, but guess what, man. I was on pace for a, a, a strong rookie campaign, and I finished strong, right? And now I'm one of the premier guys in Seattle, and going forward might be one of the premier pass catchers in the entire NFL. So you have to take all these drills in stride. But in terms of the position drills, obviously those are something you have to keep in mind a little more. And I, I know this from firsthand experience. When I was in the combine back in 2010, I was trying out as a defensive end, as an outside linebacker. And obviously playing outside linebacker, it involves you dropping the coverages a lot. So I had to go with the linebacker group. And, you know, I had to drop like a cover three route. Um, I had to catch interceptions, things like that. Well, unfortunately, and this is something you don't really see at the combine a lot, but as far as the quarterbacks are concerned, you got to keep in mind, these quarterbacks coming into the combine, 
the deck is stacked against them because essentially they're throwing to guys who they, they don't even know. They have zero rapport built in with the receivers. So it's a pressure cooker, not only for receivers who you're catching balls that you never caught balls from before, but it's also a pressure cooker from the quarterback position because you're throwing to receivers where you don't know when, when they're going to break out of their route. You, you don't know how fast they are. You don't know how agile they are. You, you don't know how good their, you know, their catch radius is. So, it's a lot of uncertainty. It's like the ultimate blind date. And unfortunately, my blind date with my quarterback at the Senior Bowl did not go swimmingly. Quite contrary, it was actually a nightmare. And I'm not going to put the dude, uh, you know, his name out there or whatever like that. But my quarterback, man, so basically how the, how the drills went was I had to drop back five yards, I had to catch the ball, and then I had to scoop and score. Okay? Easy enough, man. I get an interception, run all the way down to the field, good to go. Well, unfortunately, I don't know if it was the bright lights, not sure if it was just, you know, being on the big stage, but my quarterback could not hit me in the hands to save his life. And when we're talking about like a five, six yard pass and you know how the combine works, man, where if you don't catch the ball, you have to go back and do the drill again. Well, by the fourth time of me having to go back and do the drill because the ball was nowhere in my vicinity, I got a little mad at my quarterback and I'm like, dude. Just hit the ball in my hands. And, like, so we had a little jaw-jacking back and forth. Finally, on the fifth time, he did. But that's the kind of stuff you're dealing with at the combine. You know, you talk about the lack of sleep, which I feel like it's going to be different now, obviously, because these guys are training at a later time. So I don't think lack of sleep is going to really be an excuse. But there's so many uncertainties, and there's so many things stacked against you where, you know, if these guys don't perform well, we'll just wait for the pro day because – that's right, right, right on the corner as well. So we talked about wide receivers, tight ends, quarterbacks going on tonight. Um, some other drills that I thought were really cool, especially, you know, I'm a defensive line guy, and defensive line is a strong need right now for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I think the defensive line actually competes on Saturday, 4-11. Uh, to 11. So once again, a nice prime time slot. If you got nothing going on, be sure to check, you know, those guys out. You got Kinlaw, you got Brown going. And the cool thing this year with the defensive line of the combine that I love a lot, it's a drill that they're implementing that I think is an absolutely necessity to see just how good a defensive end or a defensive tackle is, and that's the hoop drill. And if you've ever come to a Jaguars practice before in the past decade, I'm sure you've seen the hoop drill. Essentially what it is, and this is why I'm glad they've added it to the drills this year. This is a new drill of the combine, but it tells so much about what you have as a pass rusher, number one, but also as an interior lineman, number two. And the hoop drill is essentially two giant hoops where a player has to do a figure eight around um, as fast as he can. Sounds simple, right? Well, it kind of is, but it's really not. And, and here's the reason. When you're running the hoop, your instincts in you as a competitor that have been ingrained in you since you were in Pop Warner are to run the hoop as fast as you can, obviously, right? Because you treat this as a race. You want to run faster than the guy after you and the guy before you. You, you want to make a name for yourself. I get that. But here's the catch-up, though. If you try to run the hoop as fast as you can, what is that going to do? It's going to shorten your strides up a little bit. And it's funny. This is something, honestly, I'll be honest with you. And in, in my four or five years of the NFL, I never learned is the fact that it's not about how fast you run the drill. It's about how well you do the drill. So while you're going to see guys running this hoop drill, trying to go as fast as they can with short, choppy steps, 
that's not what coaches are looking for. Because if you notice during the combine, coaches don't have stopwatches, man. They're just watching your hips for the hoop show. So if there's any young defensive, you know, ends, defensive tackles listening right now, Take my word of advice. When you're running the hoop drill, don't try to make it a race. Try to show off your hips. Try to show off your fluidity. And by doing that, it's the longer strides, right? It's almost kind of feeling uncomfortable, but you bring it at the last second. And that's the key to running the hoop drill. And that's where so many guys, especially at the combine, go wrong because they're out to repress everybody. They're out to try to have the fastest times possible. And like I said, if you watch the hoop drill, no one's going to have their stopwatch on for that. I feel like I came in at a perfect time. Show off your hips and show off your fluidity. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. Well, you bet I will. You better believe it, man. <laughs> Talk about a little hoop drill, Brad. I needed the little uh, hoop drill and, and hip movement and fluidity getting yeah. up back up the stairs. Now I'm out of breath. <laughs> well, I feel like you're actually maintaining pretty well right now. Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so have you gone through all of them? Uh, we haven't gone through all of them. I just talked about a little bit of the new drills being implemented for yeah. the wide receivers, tight ends tonight. Obviously, defensive line, a big position of need for the Jaguars. So we talked about the, the hoop drill a little bit getting added, which I think is a no-brainer because every NFL team runs it in training camp. So I'm happy to see that. But those are the only two we've been over so far. Uh, the most important drill, I think, if you talk to coaches across sports, I don't know if this is just football, mm-hmm. uh, from a uh, not like actual on-field drill, I would say in the uh, conditioning phases, right, whether it's bench press, long jump, all that, is the shuttle. Correct. Because well, you see that hip movement in everything, right? Do you so agree? I mean, do you think I is would, that the one that showcases? You remember you had the problem with DK Metcalf I last did. year because exactly. of the shuttle. Yeah. So um, to me, I'm a little biased. I think it's actually the L drill, which is essentially the That's shuttle right. with a little more turning. Um, to me, as a defensive lineman, that shows off your fluidity. That shows off your hips. You want to talk about a guy who had a fantastic L drill that made a lot of money and his draft stock rose a little bit because of it? J.J. Watt. Go, go, go back and watch J.J. Watt's Aldro. I mean, mwah, chef's kiss of how you do that drill. And, you know, usually it's at the end of the day. It's one of the last drills you do, so you're a little fatigued. You're a little tired, but it's honestly probably one of the most important drills, especially for linemen. You going to watch tonight? I'll watch a little bit. I mean, I, I have training going on. Obviously, I actually just added it to the DVR, so uh, I'll be checking it out. But, um, yeah, it's the thing I was talking about a little bit too, Brent, where the wide receivers, tight ends, and the quarterbacks, it's like a blind date. At the combine, right? Because you're throwing at guys you've never thrown to before. Yeah. All right. So the timing's not necessarily going to be there. You know, the you, when you know they're going to break out of their their routes is not going to be there. So it's always kind of a little bit of a hodgepodge of what you're expecting. But overall, yeah, I'm going to watch it, man. It's the combine. Of course, I got to watch it. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I'll watch it probably because of Beyond, but it's background yeah. noise to me. To be honest with you. Well, and let me ask you this: something new at the combine too. I saw this year, and I think you were sitting right next to it. Was was the bench press? Where they actually, the, you, if you're a, like a, a fan, you can go watch yeah. the bench press, right? Yeah. How, how was that atmosphere? It was good. It's good, yeah. uh, and it starts around that afternoon on Wednesday, right when we're about to go on, because you all of a sudden you start hearing all this noise that wasn't there. It's a quiet place. There's really not a lot of energy in the room sure. until Wednesday afternoon. But then the bleachers and people come in. It's not like a big fan thing. I think they. The stuff inside of Lucas Oil, like that part is not in Lucas Oil. That's in the convention center. Mm-hmm. So some of those, like the bench press was in the convention center. But most things are in Lucas Oil yeah. Stadium. And so some of the fans can go to that. I think they it, they cap it at a certain amount. So it's yeah. not like they try to fill the place up. But um, yeah, it's one thing about the whole deal with the combine. There's not an energy to it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like uh, 
Yeah, you go to the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl. There's an energy. You go to playoff games or you go to football games in general. Even if it's not a big game, you still feel an energy. When you go to some of these events like the draft, there's an energy to the draft. Like yeah. there's a buzz, like, oh, what's going to happen, well, right? Yeah. There's not that feel really at the combine. I mean, we're talking about a convention. We're talking about guys in underwear getting measured. We're talking about a lot of podium interviews and similar questions. So I don't want to say it's boring. I don't yeah. want to say it's not worth it. Like I think we got some valuable stuff out of there, really do. But there's no – if even in the town, you don't feel like, wow, the bars are packed and look at all the people coming in. It's just not that kind of event. So it's real different in that sense. See, it's funny because back in 2010 during the combine, the, the, there was buzz for us. Okay, Obviously, it was Tim Tebow and there was some intrigue behind that. Yeah, with the whole but, throwing. Yeah, but, but for me personally, I mean, we had two guys by the name of Ndamukong Sue and Jill McCoy. And I'm not sure if you remember how that, that whole thing went down, but like coming out of college, and Dominican Sue was said to be a once in a generational player, right? I have it on good authority. One of his last games, he played against Texas, and Texas had a first rounder themselves at offensive, I think guard. It might have been guard or tackle, whatever it was. But I have it on good authority that during that game, I think Sue had four sacks against this kid, and he defeated him so badly, Brent, that the kid got the yips and never mounted anything in the NFL. Like, wow. like the, the kid was like just broken Ruined. that much from Indomitian Sue wow. during one game. And then that kid was a senior, by the way, too. I'm not going to name out anything, but like I, I've heard it on good authority. That's what happened with Indomitian Sue. So obviously, Sue was a monster coming out of college. Then you had Gerald McCoy, Oklahoma, was also a monster. And the whole buzz in our group, because once again, I was with defensive linemen and linebackers, was the fact that who was going to be the legit guy, right? Like, is it going to be Sue? Is it going to be McCoy? And it's funny that we talk about the bench press. Because I remember when Sue did the bench press, I think he got like 38. I mean, he got a very high number. And Joe McCoy might have gotten in the, in the low 20s. And immediately everybody said, oh, and Dominican Sue all day. Joe McCoy, you know, he, he falls under the bench press. He, he's he's, he's going to be a first-round pick for sure, but he's not even close to Dominican Sue. All over a bench press. And, like, from that moment on, it was like, oh, Sue's the man, and McCoy's just kind of like the second fiddle. And it's funny, too, man, because it's over just one drill, one bench press thing. And listen, I played football with Stephen Pia. Stephen Pia, last time I checked, I think he has the bench press record. I think he bench pressed 225 50-something times. Watching this guy in the Chicago Bears weight room, Brent, not exaggerating, he had his own bar for the bench press because, like, apparently lifting a straight bar wasn't good enough anymore. He had this bamboo bar. So, like, literally when he got it off the rack, it would be, like, shaking, like, trying to – so not only is he – Trying bench, to balance Yeah, it. exactly. So he's got four plates on each side, whatever, 405, and then on top of it, he's got to balance this thing as it's wobbling. Anybody else like me, I would have just dropped the thing on my chest. It would have been game over. But here's Stephen Pia's ripping out, you know, 405 on a bamboo uh, bar for, like, sets of 10. So, like, obviously, I, I've seen the best of the best. I've seen the creme de la creme, but guess what? And nothing against Stephen Pia, fantastic guy and a pretty good football player. But Stephen Pia wasn't making, you know, he's not making all pros because of his bench press, right? So, like, I always found it kind of funny that people wanted to knock Gerald McCoy so bad over just one bad showing at the bench press when they compared to Ndamukong Sue. And, and I'm being nice to Gerald McCoy, too, because we have a history. At the combine, the first time I met him, he called me Big Avatar. You remember the movie Avatar? Yeah. He goes, hey, what's up, Big Avatar? I go, oh, no, it's Austin. Oh, no, what's up, Big Avatar? I'm like, I've never talked to this dude in my entire life. Well, Gerald McCoy, he's going to call you whatever he wants to call you. He's yeah. six foot four, 300 pounds. Yeah, big dude. So he, he probably calls anybody whatever but, he wants. But here's the thing, too, though, Brent. If you compare Joe McCoy's numbers and Dominican Sue's numbers. I was just doing it. That's what I was very, looking up. They're very comparable. And especially in terms of sacks, which is, you know, 
the all king of stats and in terms of defensive linemen. I think McCoy actually might have more sacks than uh, and Dominican Sue in a lot less games, if I'm not mistaken. It, this is a, you are pretty close to right on the money right. uh, with this. Five-time Pro Bowler for Sue. Yeah. Three-time first-team All-Pro, and there's some second-team All-Pros in there, too. Mm-hmm. 58 and a half sacks. Gerald McCoy, six-time Pro Bowler, mm-hmm. three-time first-team All-Pro, I think two-time second-team All-Pro, yeah. 59 and a half sacks. There you go. I mean, they've had identical careers. Don't don't always buy into the bench press, man. But now, where were they picked separately? Because uh, obviously, Sue was uh, number two overall. Yeah, uh, let's just double Brad, check. Bradford was number one. Sue oh, uh, he was, McCoy was, he was what, three. three, three oh, yeah, exactly. So, but I'm saying yeah, it, was, it was back and forth. It was like, who's going to go next after Bradford? Is it going to be McCoy or Sue? And I distinctly remember after that bench press, it was like, oh, Sue all day, Sue all day. Here's Here's what uh, is interesting, though, perception. Because Sue is looked at as a guy who was kind of a pain in the butt. Sure. Right? Yeah, well, and, I mean, let's be and honest. Maybe, He's one of the most hated NFL players of all time. If you don't look if you don't look at stats, you would think, like I thought I, thought I was going to go into this and I started looking at it because I was like, hey, Gerald McCoy outperformed him. Yeah. Well, and Domkin Sue's had a heck of a career. Absolutely. He was defensive rookie of the year, by the way, over McCoy. Mm-hmm. but. I mean, he's had a heck of a career, but perception-wise, because he's bounced around teams, been on four teams, also because of some of the dirty play stuff, like you said, one of the most hated guys. Yeah. I don't know if it feels like he's been as good as he has been. Sure. Meanwhile, McCoy almost feels like he's overachieved, mm-hmm. even though he was a third overall pick. Yeah. So it, it's fascinating what perception does until you actually look up the numbers. Well, and listen, and I've told the story before too, Brent. In terms of Indomitian Sue. I got nothing bad to say about the guy. Yeah. All right, because yeah, I, uh, I played with him for for five six weeks, spent some time with him, went out to eat with him, and believe me when Did I say, uh, the rookies bought <laughs> even better. But um, but in terms of like, because oh, yeah, obviously, you a rookie, well, yeah, because because <laughs> obviously in Detroit, man, like I mean, he he was the guy for a while. Yeah, and people recognize him. He's he's a very recognizable dude. And I'm talking every single kid that came up to him, every single parent that came up to him. He was the most gracious dude ever. You know, cool. I mean, he, hear that. He, he, he was an awesome guy in the community. And I, I, I say it like this. If Ndamukong Sue was born three decades earlier, he'd be celebrated as one of the best defensive tackles of all time. Okay? Ndamukong Sue's only gripe and his only con about him is the fact that he was born too late. He was born in a generation that doesn't embrace the, embrace the toughness, you know, that doesn't embrace kind of the dirty stuff a little bit. Not to say he's a dirty player. I just think sometimes, you know, your emotions get the best of you. Let's be honest, but we talk about it all the time. Being a defensive lineman, you have to be a little crazy, okay? And what made Ndamukong Sue so, you know, so good, um, and still so good to this day is he's a little crazy on the field, obviously. So once again, I think the guy was just born in the wrong decade, but I'm um, still a great player and, and, and also a, a very intelligent man. By yeah, the way, smart guy. And, very and, smart and guy. by the way, he he lived in a an era where if you make one mistake, you're that's the narrative. Like I just yeah. kind of did it. I'm fall yeah. guilty of it, right? Yeah. Um, so interesting. Hey, Leonard Fournette tweeted last night. Did you see this? I did not see it, but I heard about well, it. Well, it's been deleted. Yeah, but he's like, where are these trade rumors coming from? Yeah, they're really interesting. Now he just parted ways with his agent. Mm-hmm. He's still with Rock Nation. But is he doing his own agent work and trying to get out of Jacksonville? He's taking all his Jag stuff down off his social media, at least at last check. That was a couple weeks ago. I haven't checked again. But what's up with Leonard Fournette? Should the Jags be concerned? Do they have another issue on their hands? Not going forward, but maybe in 2020 with some of the cryptic messages from Leonard. Trying to go toe-to-toe with Yannick.
We'll talk about it next. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Yeah, I think Leonard did everything that we wanted him to do. I mean, you know, you talk about a workhorse, a guy that carried a load, a guy that had a ton of receptions. You know, we were able to, you know, he did a lot of great things for us. Coming out of the backfield protection is probably one of the things that, you know, he really did a heck of a job of this year. Uh, it was unfortunately not just Leonard, but everyone, we didn't get into the end zone enough. So I think as we, you know, get better, and you know, around ourselves or the players and we get better in the year coming, and I think that we have to do a better job coaching-wise situationally in the red zone to be able to score those touchdowns, and I think they'll come. Oh, backdoor slap at John D. Filippo in the red zone, uh, and maybe rightfully so, given their record in the red zone a year ago. That was Doug Marone, of course. Uh, a couple things to pass along. One, uh, if you were listening earlier in the show, John Bachman was telling us a big story they were following yeah. about the family, uh, uh, three uh, kids that were missing. They found them. So uh, another update and a good update and a positive update. Uh, that's all I think we know at the time. But they did find them and uh, the family. So it looks to be everybody is uh, safe and sound. If you were following along and wondering, you can always check out the latest updates on that on CBS 47 and Fox 30 on the news side. The other big story we're following all day long today, and it's part uh, sad story and, and a day of mourning of sorts for a lot of high school football family members uh, in the state of Florida and in Jacksonville and especially over at the Bowl School and Lee high school the passing of legendary coach corky rogers but in part mourning and part celebration of uh really a legend uh larger than life in terms of high school football coaches so much so that if you look at some of the reaction going around uh, we'll talk about leonard fournette in just a moment here but uh, i wanted to share this with you because we tried to get some of these folks on the show and, and uh, texting back and forth and all those things but uh, uh i'll read you some of the tweets first of all the bowl school put out uh, a statement that says a coach will impact more people in one year than the average person will in an entire lifetime i just said on tv a short time ago think about that in one year well Corky Rogers coached for 45 years. <laughs> Do yeah. the math on that one, right? A lot of lives, yeah. Coach Steve Spurrier retweeted that, said, one of the best, exclamation point. Manny Diaz, Miami head football coach, RIP to Corky Rogers, one of the most legendary coaches in state history, 10 state championships, more importantly, countless lives influenced. He will be missed. Leroy Butler, who we tried to connect with and just couldn't do so, played for Corky Rogers at Lee. He said, all capital letters, by the way, high school coaches are rarely appreciated and they really do tons for kids. When a poor kid from the projects in Jacksonville needs help like lunch money or shoes, pencils and backpack, well, that kid was me and Coach Rogers was my hero. R.I.P. Coach. So strong words uh, from Leroy Butler. Chris Ryer works with the Jags now. But if you go back in the late 90s, that 1996 team will be one of the most celebrated Bowls teams of all time. If you ask Chris, it's the best team ever come out of <laughs> Jacksonville. And maybe he's right. Uh, I wasn't here during that time. But uh, he had a long string of tweets, uh, including showing him kicking as he had to be a fill-in kicker for Des White, a former NFL wide receiver. And... Uh, it's a picture of uh, Corky Rogers in those short shorts, high socks. <laughs> nice. <laughs> a classic the, look. In front of the 93-95 state championship sign and watching uh, Chris kick. So uh, you should check out uh, Chris Ryer on uh, Twitter and see all the tweets he mentioned. I, I think it kind of puts it in a nutshell, the impact Corky Rogers had on his players. Uh, Chris is at S-E-E-R-Y-E-R on Twitter, so at S-E-E-R-Y-E-R. -E -E Chipper Jones, to one of the most impactful coaches of my life. I only got one year with you, but I'm grateful for every second. You taught me that repetition, discipline, and attention to detail is what wins. Your reputation and record speak for themselves. R.I.P. Bulls football coach, Corky Rogers. I'm sorry, who was that last one? 
Chipper Jones. Chipper Jones, gotcha. Okay. So yeah, obviously, yeah. baseball legend played for, the baseball, football but he played a football well. yeah, uh, right. season under Corky Rogers. So that's right. Uh, there we go. It's more than just football, right? We've yeah. been saying that the entire day. So uh, the tributes go on, and I think they will. Uh, we had Gene Fernet on earlier. If you missed it, uh, really fun conversation with Gene, and he knows Corky really well, uh, the history behind it. So uh, if you go back a little bit later and listen to the first hour of the show, you'll hear Gene Fernet. And there will be more to come, I think, in the next couple of days, weeks ahead. And as we approach uh, the 2020 high school football season, I wouldn't be surprised to see Bowles and other schools uh, honor uh, the legacy of Corky Rogers. Brent Martineau, Austin Lane, Coos here on a Thursday. NFL Combine continues. Jaguars topics continue. It's the first show in a long time. We haven't sat here and talked 10 or 15 minutes about Yannick Ngakwe. Sure. But instead we have Leonard Fournette. I know. So last night he tweets. Oh, Twitter. It's the gift that keeps on giving, It really Brent. is. And I actually have a question about that in a moment. But okay. uh, Leonard tweeted something to the effect of where are these trade rumors coming from? Mm-hmm. Well, there were no trade rumors until he said it. Of course. <laughs> and then by, I don't know if it was late last night or early today, but it was deleted. I went to grab it today because I was going to put it on our Instagram and it was gone. Yeah, so somebody got to, <laughs> How many guys, how many times do these guys delete tweets? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. You know? For sure. And so, what, it is interesting you just bring up. The gift that keeps on giving is Twitter. Yeah. Is there a sense, this is the off season. Some guys go do stuff, right? Hey, listen, if you work out, and even if you work your butt off, that's a few hours a day. There's 24 hours in a day. You can go spend time with the family. You can go vacation a little bit. You can visit things. Is there a sense that in the off season, these guys almost have too much time on their hands? And because there's so much attention on them day to day during the season, like I'm almost getting the sense that they can't do without the attention. Yeah. You know, and and I'm not. That sounds like in a bad way to say it, but in reality. Nobody's really talking day to day in terms of all this media in front of a locker or how many yards and touchdowns he had. You go months without that. You get so used to that. Mm -hmm. I almost feel like, and not just in Leonard's case, I almost feel like social media has become kind of the the resource to fill that gap in their day to get the attention because the likes and the retweets and all the interactions, whatever they say will, will happen. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be psychologist in this, but it just is like, what are we doing here? Or does Leonard want out of Jacksonville? No. So, listen, and nine times out of ten, I always try to take the player side, right? Like, I'm a former player myself, so I always try to at least relate to the current NFL player. All right? I may not always agree, but I always try to see where they're coming from, and then I form my opinions from that. And when it comes to social media with Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, yeah, I get it. I'm not the most social media savvy person because I don't have Instagram, okay? I mean, I have Twitter and I have Facebook and all that. But I think nowadays, Brent, and I get it. I sound old when I say this, but like even when I played you know, in the NFL, um, Twitter was still kind of a newer thing. And it, Twitter can be used as a tool for getting endorsements. It can be a tool for obviously sharing your thoughts and, um, you know, getting an opinion across. Um, it can obviously get you in trouble as well. I always just approach Twitter as a way just to try to, you know, when I play in the NFL, was just to try to be funny 
and to show that, listen, even though I'm in the NFL, I'm not trying to take myself so seriously. So I was never the guy that had the motivating quotes. I was never the guy that had the cryptic stuff. I was just trying to make people laugh and show, hey, even though, you know, you guys put me on a pedestal, I'm just like everybody else. So that's how I handle my social media. Everybody does it differently. But what social media is, especially now in 2020, is that it's the transparency to the life of, a, of an NFL athlete, a professional athlete. And with that transparency, the biggest thing that Twitter can do, the biggest thing that Instagram can do, is that it shows you instant gratification. And by that, I mean the like button, the retweet button. It's an addicting thing, you know? And, like, I mean, I've been there, Brent. I'm sure you've been there. Like, people always try to outdo themselves and see, listen, how, how many likes can I get? How many retweets I can get? Well, when you're on such a big pedestal, you know, when you're a big name on an NFL team, Obviously, no matter what you say, no matter how many misspellings, grammar errors, whatever else it is, people are going to interact with you, man, because you carry that much pomp and circumstance. Now, with that being said, with Leonard Fournette, like, does he want out of Jacksonville? Was this all just kind of a cryptic thing? Honestly, dude, I, I have no idea. But at the end of the day, whether it's Yannick Ngakwe, whether it's Leonard Fournette, whether it's Jalen Ramsey, I mean, they all have something in common, man. And they all live to see their stuff get retweeted. They all live to see their stuff get liked, and they all live to see their stuff get talked about. Whether it's you and I breaking down the Yannick Ngakwe, you know, tweets every single day with the serious <laughs> Which music. Which has become a fun game. We appreciate it. Oh, dude, I, I, I'm all about it. But, like, please understand, I'm not trying to take it too seriously. Like, I'm trying to just, you know, make a joke of it. But it's just it's how NFL players I don't know, Brent, and it's how professional athletes. I think it's anybody with a lot of popularity is like now. Yeah, I think, you know, you're right. It's like a bit of a drug yeah, in a sense, right? And, I, I, again, it's times we're trying to play psychologists, but I do think at this time of year when all the draft hopefuls are getting the attention, Tom Brady, the quarterbacks, who's going where, who's going there, I think there's something to it that they like some of the attention and mm-hmm. say, and by the way, we talk about this a lot, and this might be from a business standpoint, like you mentioned, the branding. The more you keep your name out there, the more people are talking about you, the more buzz mm-hmm. and maybe the more dollars at the end of the day so i'm not even necessarily knocking it i don't listen for our job it's great mm-hmm. um but i also it's fascinating to me where it comes from and when it comes and i like the yon stuff i can almost see because i i feel like like again i'm playing psychologist here but i feel like the yon stuff is he wants to talk but he knows it's not the smartest thing to talk right now. Sure. And so he just reaches this boiling point sometimes. Yeah. And his, his outlet to at least say something and feel better yeah. is that. Mm-hmm. And I think we've probably all been there even on social media. You can use that as an outlet. So I think it's a little bit different. Um, and, and maybe there's a little part of it that everybody goes nuts on the cryptic tweet stuff. Yeah, with yeah. Yon, so now he's kind of feeding into that. Yeah. Like I think Jalen is a guy that fed into that stuff. You know, he kind of. Would perp- and, and I think Leonard's smart enough to do that and also doesn't mind the backlash. Sure. Like, he doesn't mind that we're having this conversation about it. No. Eh, whatever. Just rub right off his shoulder, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's really interesting to see. Bottom line is, are, are you concerned, though, that Leonard might become a dramatic situation as well? I mean, well, he does have some things that continue to add up to say, I want out of here, too. Listen, they always say where there's smoke, there's fire in terms of sports media. So is Leonard Fournette on the chopping block? I don't think so. I don't think it'd be very wise at this moment in his career and where the Jaguars are at. But obviously, that, that, that rumor came from somewhere. 
And it, it, if it got his attention, <laughs> well, but I'm saying, but, but if it came from him, Brent, well, he, he had heard from someplace, right? And it's probably a pretty reliable source. So once again, where there's smoke, there's fire. But I'm thinking Leonard Fournette's going to be a Jacksonville Jaguar here, at least for this next year. Yeah. Uh, well, well I, I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the bigger question is, will he be it for the next year after that yeah. with the 50-year option? Uh, Bowling and Fallen. Final comment or two about Corky Rogers and what's happening in the world of sports here on a Thursday. Next, to wrap it up, Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Dak Prescott? Oh, definitely. I mean, it's 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 exactly where we want to be uh, with Dak. I think what he's done uh, to this point, you know, speaks to itself. I mean, and really, Dak is in a he's in a business situation right now. I've, I've gone through this as a head coach with a number of my players in the past, and I think. Like you know, like anything, it's just time to be patient and, and let the let the business uh, people work out the business matter, and, and that's really where that's really where we are. Dak is in his personal flight to, to get to get a contract done. Personal flight, very nice, Mike McCarthy. Uh, talking about Dak Prescott, and I think Prescott's going to be, they'll figure it out. They'll make it work. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think there's as much drama in that. I do find it interesting. I said it earlier in the show. He hasn't talked to, to the Cowboys about it, and it's been a topic, but he hasn't talked since September, I guess, his agent and the team. Mm-hmm. And maybe there was this understanding that they wanted it to get it done all along, and Dak was going to get it done. But there's also been those crazy numbers thrown out. I remember at one time it was like $40 million. I ain't paying $40 million for Dak Prescott. I hate to tell you, you can ring that bell all you want. I mean, I'm not going to ring it now. I'm not going to pay him. <laughs> I mean, would you pay $40 million for I mean, again, that was like a, a yeah. middle of the season thing. I mean, yeah. Now we might be in the 30s. It's just, I, I get, so I always get the cost of doing business stuff. But then you also have to have a cap somewhere along the way. My interesting point is sure. it never seemed to have, like, it, Dallas media, National media will cling on to that one and make it contentious. It never has felt that contentious because the Cowboys have kind of always said, hey, we want to do it, want to do it. Mm-hmm. you know. And, and they haven't said too much other than that, at least from my opinion. Now, I don't, I'm not there all the time. But whereas Jan, at least here being here and kind of knowing the ins and outs of this one, is kind of contentious. There's some bad feelings there that you have to overcome the feelings in addition to maybe the money barrier that exists. Let me ask you this. In terms of Dak Prescott, because he has to get paid, obviously. Amari Cooper, he's got to be paid. And then one can make an argument that Byron Jones, your, you know, your lockdown corner, has to be paid as well. You can't pay everybody. So in terms of, I guess interest of like priority who's going first second and third because you know zeke got paid already so you can't put zeke in there anymore yeah and i think the better question well yeah okay i'll answer your question i say in the order you named them okay you can't bring in mike mccarthy and not give him a quarterback sure right yeah and i think you gotta let it fly with dak i don't know if he's your super bowl winning quarterback i don't Mm -hmm. he's certainly outperformed and he's done well but now that you signed zeke and you have amari cooper Potentially, you have this line. I mean, you've got to keep the quarterback. You have no choice. So, I mean, that's probably why they're raising the dollars because they kind of know that. They really have nowhere to go. Amari Cooper, I don't really think they have many places to go because of what they gave up in that first round pick. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you've already kind of like the Rams did, unless you're going to recoup that in some way, which is not going to happen. Uh, they have to sign Amari Cooper and Byron Jones, who maybe is a deal that you could get done. It might be the most conservative of the bunch in terms of the deals, in terms of production and, and what you would pay, it would be third on the list. It just okay. has to be. like Sometimes the situation dictates what you do, like it or not. The situation here in Jacksonville somewhat, and again, whether you agree or not, you had to make a really tough call. If not, 
dictated that Blake Bortles was sticking around. It dictated that they need to go find the best quarterback in free agency last year, Nick Foles. Mm-hmm. It's kind of dictating that they need to keep Yannick Ngakwe in some capacity in 2020 and hopefully beyond, but definitely in 2020. So the situation you can't run from. And in Dallas, that's the situation. And you helped create that situation because they didn't make a very tough decision. Should they have signed Ezekiel Elliott Mm -hmm. to what they signed Ezekiel Elliott? Because if you look at the irreplaceable part of those positions, and maybe we can argue on Byron Jones a little bit, but the other two positions are harder to replace than Ezekiel Elliott, Yeah, I think. No, Uh, And and the trend shows that. It's obviously Mm -hmm. hard to find a franchise quarterback. It's hard to find a number one wide receiver, too. Uh, that can really separate from the other receivers. And Ezekiel Elliott's a special back, but unless you have the other parts, you're probably not doing much. Well, so it's an interesting situation. And one could argue Amari Cooper really turned that team around, right? Because yeah. before he got there, that offense, was even with, even with Ezekiel Elliott, was pretty stagnant. And then all of a sudden, here comes Amari Cooper. Check this out. And all of a sudden, you have a very uh, high-power and explosive offense. Absolutely. Uh, all right, balling and falling, man. What you got? Uh, balling. So obviously with the combine comes the combine stories, Brent. And one of my favorites I've read so far is uh, D3 St. John's University in Minnesota, which actually recruited me out of high school as well. Uh, ben Barch, who is an offensive tackle. Do you, have you seen this? I saw it. Okay. Came into college, 6'6", 250 pounds. Not a big offensive tackle. Not what you want out of your hosses up front. Added up putting on some weight and obviously made it to the combine, so he did something right. He now weighs 309 pounds. Not the crazy story. The crazy story is how he got to 309 pounds. And it was a recipe that he would, uh, uh, you know, drink every single day. And you know me, Brent. I'm a, I'm a smoothie junkie. I love my smoothies, man. I have the same one every single day. Check out this recipe um, for his, you know, caloric intake that had to be increased. Here's what he added to his smoothie every single day. Seven scrambled eggs. Scrambled, not raw. Scrambled eggs. A big tub, in quotes, of cottage cheese. Quick grits. Peanut butter. Banana. And obviously we're talking about a smoothie. You need to have some kind of liquid base. What was that liquid base? Gatorade. So once again, seven scrambled eggs, a big tub of cottage cheese, quick grits, peanut butter, a banana, and Gatorade, all combined up into a smoothie to help you gain weight. I say I would have just did steroids. I say we make it. <laughs> I say we make that smoothie and do a taste test. Oh, let's do it. Oh, let's do it. I'm in. I mean, let me see. Read it again. Oh, okay. Uh, Seven scrambled eggs. Dude, just imagine putting scrambled eggs in a liquid. That's disgusting. You need a blender or something. Seven scrambled eggs, big tub of cottage cheese, quick grits, peanut butter, a banana, and a Gatorade. I'm giving that to Ty tonight. Here's what we're going to do. I mean, are we at the studio tomorrow? We don't know yet. If we're at the studio tomorrow... I'll, I'll bring in my Vitamix because, you know, it's, it's. I mean, I call it the ranch, right? Because it has so many ponies. It's got a big engine. You know what I'm saying? It's got, it's got that big More engine. More horsepower than uh, yeah. the cars That's what I'm there. saying. I'll bring in my Vitamix and we'll make up this, stu- uh, the, this smoothie live and we'll see how it tastes like if we're in the studio. Okay, we probably won't. Well, then, well, then we'll wait till what, Monday. what I'm wondering is should we wait until after you fight? Oh, I mean, a- hey, I'm not chugging this thing. I'm going to have a sip and casually give it to you. I'm not drinking this whole thing. But right. uh, uh, I'll try it. We'll shoot it Monday. Yeah, let's do it Monday. Monday. All right. I think cool. we're going to be. Uh, I, I think we'll be out of the studio tomorrow. So All let's right. plan well, on that. Well, we'll stay in touch and we'll find out. Yeah. But yeah. But, but you to say, up. dude, balling. The guy did what he had to do. He gained the weight, regardless of the crazy means. Props to I, him. I just put on Twitter, and I guarantee I know what the response is going to be. But I sincerely asked this question: 
What is it harder to do? Gain 50 pounds or lose 50 pounds? Ooh. Or, or make your... I think I, you have to word it like gain the right amount of 50 yeah. pounds. You know what I mean? Like, Well, was that... Does that get the right amount of 50 pounds? I mean... I mean, it works because he's at the combine, you yeah. know? I mean, I mean uh, come on. You can listen, be a sloppy offensive lineman. Doesn't coming, matter. Uh, coming from the dude who had to put on 30 pounds from the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Kansas City Chiefs. You know. Hey, it was, I mean, it wasn't the easiest thing, but I'm not saying it was hard. And it was kind of fun to eat a lot. You it know? was. So, I mean, so it wasn't. See, like, I kind of feel like, you know, it yeah. sounds good, right? Yeah. Hey, yeah, have some pizza. Like, all this stuff. Like, I can, you can gain that incrementally yeah. over, but I'm talking about, like, in a, say in a year or six months or whatever the time. And, and you can even say 25 pounds, 30, whatever sure. the weight. But, like, I mean, you, it's hard to force yourself to eat that oh, much man. if you're not used to eating that much, isn't it? Oh, no, absolutely. So, like, I've told the story before. Coming into college, I was 215 pounds. And, obviously, that wasn't going to cut it at defensive end. So, my coach maybe gained weight. And it's funny that quick grits were one of the ingredients in the smoothie because I had to eat grits, Brent non-stop and a, and a kid coming from wisconsin where we just do oatmeal we don't do grits that was something new to me it was a, it's true not like sandpaper the whole time all right Horrible. real quick uh, my ball yeah, is uh, three state championships in soccer yesterday for this area clean sweep and girls uh, bishop kenny girls just won in hoops they'll go to a state championship saturday bartram trail uh is in the state championship along with Pontevedra tomorrow so in soccer they're going for five Man. state championships on the girls side and bishop kenny trying for uh one on saturday in basketball what you got for them so far Let's save it until tomorrow. It's going to be the deck coach again. We talked about yesterday. We yeah, teased we a little gotta, bit. But Friday, yeah. let's get after it, man. Yeah, we'll do that. Uh, we yeah. want to bring that topic up. Yeah. I kind of don't want to bring it up today because we're celebrating a guy of course. Uh, in a different way. A guy that yep. did it for 45 years. And uh, once again, we spent a lot of the show talking about Corky Rogers yeah. and his legacy, his impact, and larger-than-life figure. Uh, once again, thoughts and prayers to all his friends and family, his wife Linda, his two daughters, and uh, everybody that's been impacted. But in a way, I feel like it's a celebratory way yeah. of honoring a man who uh, left an impacting legacy for sure on an entire city, an entire sport in the state of Florida in uh, high school football. So uh, our best to the family once again. And I think we'll continue to talk about Corky Rogers for days, months, and years to come as we uh, his legacy certainly uh, we'll live for a long, long time. For Austin Lane, I'm Brent Martin. No, we'll see you on the TV side. We talk more about Corky Rogers and more from the Combine coming up on CBS 47 and Fox 30. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. You know you Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.